They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb up out the trenches, sit on benches, throw my time and come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. The cost of greatness is generally measured in time and effort. The window to achieve that greatness is generally very small. And sometimes we waver between weighing what was lost in our quest for that greatness or what was achieved, thus manifesting that greatness. Who determines it? How is it determined? Numbers, impact, influence. And we're going to find out as I welcome you to The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter. Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. I'm a well-noted Stanley of the greatness that is Helen Fulasadea Du. You might know her better and professionally as Sade, or Sade as she's called in the hood. And I've told my story about my relationship with Sade. I have. But it was her birthday this past weekend. So I celebrated her greatness in my mind and in my heart. And I listened to some music, of course. Also, the birthdays of two of the all-time greats in rap music. Sir Richard Martin Walters. You might know him better as Slick Rick. MC or Ricky D. One of the most stylish rappers of all time. His storytelling influence is top tier, is god tier. Not even, it's goat tier, as a matter of fact. I don't know which one is better, goat or god tier. But the man who created the term goat and changed it, like we do with everything. We change the lexicon on things. We introduced these things and one James Todd Smith in 2000 with his album, The Greatest of All Time, took those words and turned them into an acronym we use for everything today. Influence. Impact, stats, how do you measure it? They all have them. Sade, Slick Rick, LL Cool J, the inventor of the term GOAT. But sometimes greatness isn't always recognized. There's a group in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, who saw the message was instrumental in changing the perception of rap to the mostly white consuming public. Seen as some silly gibberish rhymes at first, till the message was the first mental health rap record ever. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. Uh-huh, huh, huh. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. And the man who wrote the majority of those bars, Ed Fletcher, aka Duke Booty, passed away this past weekend. He's credited on the album, on the song, but they don't talk about them. I don't. I don't think he's. If I recall correctly, he wasn't mentioned in a Hall of Fame speech by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. It wasn't mentioned in anything. He's on the record. You can see the name on the record. E. Fletcher, Ed Fletcher. But those bars are his. 
So we tell that story. We talk about how the pressures of the city are getting to you, and you don't want to be pushed to the edge. Cost of greatness is sometimes not being recognized for what you do that is great. I want to recognize Mr. Fletcher and his contribution to this thing of ours called hip-hop culture for introducing us to the message. And the overall message for the day, really for this week, let's just call it a week, is that last week was the official day of birth of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Celebrated on Monday, January 17th, where there will be 24 teams from the National Basketball Association playing on that very day to honor Dr. King. He is so beloved in death. Sounds odd. At one time in America, the country's biggest and top cop, J. Edgar Hoover, deemed Martin Luther King Jr. as the greatest threat to America's national security, all because he wanted freedom, justice, and equality for people, first and foremost, who look like him, then freedom, justice, and equality for all the people. Sounds like a threat to me. And whether he was a part of the march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, or the spark to the flame with Rosa Parks refusing to give up her seat on a bus in Birmingham, Alabama, or Emmett Till being brutally murdered in Mississippi and his mother, Mamie Till, making sure that the world saw what they did to her young 14-year-old boy who went down south and was murdered by white supremacists. He was a voice for that cause. He was a voice for fighting for human rights and civil rights, first and foremost, of his people who were not given those rights. They were supposed to be unalienable under the law of the Constitution of the United States of America. But what people fail to realize is that the Constitution was not written with people who looked like Martin Luther King, who looked like me in mind. We weren't considered people, we weren't considered men. We were considered three-fifths of a person based on the, on the census. So the 13th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America said, hey, guess what? Because we say so on a piece of paper, you guys are people today. Congratulations. This man wanted to do it by peace, but nothing in America came by peace. I'm reminded of the great Andre Lauren Benjamin song he does with Antoine Andre Patton. And in the song, he says, everybody's talking about peace, my brother, peace this, peace that. And when I want to have a peace of mind, they want to take a peace of mind. So I had to grab my piece. But wars in America are always physical. There's always bloodshed and collateral damage involved. And eventually, in the 60s, so many people who were fighting for those things, for the freedom, for the right to be people. I mean, you can talk about the Kennedy brothers at 63 and 68. You can talk about Megger Evers in Mississippi. You can talk about the Freedom Riders in Mississippi who were murdered, who came down from New York to try and get people to vote. You can talk about Malcolm X was murdered in 1965, or you can talk about April 4th, 1968, in Memphis, Tennessee, when Dr. Martin Luther King was killed. He wasn't beloved in life in a lot of ways in America. The narrative changed as he got further and further away from the consciousness of the people because he was not around anymore. It's funny that happens oftentimes with those leaders from that time. You think about a man who won a Nobel Peace Prize, but once he started talking about reparations and what America owed as a debt to the citizens who helped build the country, like literally build the country, I'm not talking about figuratively, literally build the country, oh, it became a real threat. Gotta go, gotta go. When you look at people like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, they definitely had different directions based on how they wanted to achieve that freedom, justice, and equality 
but the same destination. And oftentimes, they were pitted against each other. The same way that we talk about the whether you believe in the letter or not, the Willie Lynch letter, the divide and conquer tactics that were utilized, old versus young, good hair versus bad hair, light-skinned versus dark-skinned slaves. Yeah, same thing with Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, where they were brothers of the same mind, unblind. Shouts out to Chuck D. And utilizing sport as a platform, King wasn't the greatest sports person. He wasn't a, a big sportsman, but he was aware of the athletes who wanted to find change because they had a platform now, black athletes, especially in America, whether it be Althea Gibson, Arthur Ashe, Bill Russell, Jim Brown, the artist formerly known as Ferdinand Lewis Alcindor Jr., and the artist formerly known as Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. You might know him better as Ali. When I talk about being beloved in death, you realize that, that they were loved more when they could speak less. King can no longer speak. Ali can no longer speak. So their words are weaponized. They're always encouraged to protest peacefully and then get murdered violently, get silenced. And if you ever wondered why the caged bird sings, because I cannot speak about the kings and the exes and people of this nature and this ilk without having an understanding of the great Dr. Maya Angelou, who is now immortalized on the U.S. quarter her voice was necessary as well. The cost of greatness is not 25 cents, though. They paid a cost that comes across in awkward tributes at times on television, whether it be in a sports show, when people, you know, hear, you know, this day is coming up. We have to have something nice to say about these people. Cool. And their names get leveraged in defense of just stay in your place. We'll work it out here. And there's a process. But how long is this process? When will freedom ring? Then I start to think about the only thing in life that really isn't free is freedom. Greatness is like that too. There's a cost to it. Things you miss out on, things you can't change, things you quote unquote sacrifice in order to achieve that greatness. I talked about mental health earlier in the song, The Message, about being pushed. There was a great article in the Players' Tribune that I saw about Steve Francis, the franchise, on the verge of being great himself, all-star, and Duncan kind of this an amazing athlete who would come from very, very difficult circumstances to achieve a dream of playing the National Basketball Association. But as that ends, you have to remedy that eventually it does end. The cheers stop. How do you deal with the rest of your life? How do you deal with the world? He talked about how alcohol was his way to drown out. It was going to be over soon. He could no longer do the thing he loved doing. But when my dear old dad, blessed dad, used to say to me, sometimes in life what's right ain't popular, and what's popular ain't always right. Dr. King didn't do what was popular to America at the time, but it was right. He gave his life for it. He didn't want to be a martyr. So going down to Memphis in support of a sanitation worker strike, maybe a night or two before he was assassinated, he said he didn't have a martyr complex. He wanted to live a long life, but he understood the risks that were involved, the cost of being great. And what do you think about the 11 game Losing strike that the Memphis Grizzlies were on that was just snapped by Luka Lamar Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks in Memphis. Or that fateful day, April 4th, 1968, where Dr. King lost his life. But he did lose his voice. It's incumbent upon us to be that voice to continue to work toward freedom, justice, and equality for all people. Not trying to be, we are the world, less old hands, kumbaya guy. That's just what it is. 
There's always going to be a force out there that doesn't want for us to come together, for us to be seen as equals, for us to be seen as people. Just that, people. But I do. And hopefully you do too. I'm going to talk to one of those people who are trying to do things and bring a community together and bring his community together under the guise of basketball when we come back for more on The Open Run with Will Strickland right after this. Back here with more of what you asked for. It's the open run, Will Strickland. In conversation with two time, two time NBA champion, Joel Anthony. And to be clear, I should also add some more to your nomenclature. The general manager of the CBL, the Canadian League Basketball League's newest expansion team, the Montreal Alliance. Welcome, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me. No doubt. I appreciate you coming on. Now, we were talking a little bit off air, but I'm going to go over a couple of things. We want to talk about your career a little bit. I know you don't really like to talk about yourself, but it is important that we do so to set it up for where we talk about what you're doing with life after basketball. Yeah, I think a lot of people have a hard time, especially as professional athletes, adjusting to life after playing basketball. Even if you stay in the game, sometimes they find it difficult because young people don't always see the game the same way you did or don't understand some of the experiences. And that's where the learning and the lessons come in, not only for you giving the lessons, but you learning how to better dole out those lessons. And that's why you're in the position you're in right now. Right. So. That said, and this is what I normally do with all of my guests who come on the podcast, I would love you to run your resume. And let's start. Can we start at the fact that you are from Montreal? Let, let people know that <laughs> we start there. Yeah. So I was uh, I was born and raised in Montreal. Um, I lived in in, uh, in in Dollard or over in the West Island. Uh, you know, my uh, uh, most of my life until I was uh, all the way until 20. Yeah, I was about. Uh, about, about 19, 20 years old uh, when I when I actually left, but yeah, I grew up, you know, grew, grew up here uh, over over the west with the school um, uh, over here during that entire time. You know, went uh, all over. I was you know over at Roslyn in, in Westmount because my mom used to uh, teach uh, at uh, she was vice principal over at Westmount High. Um, mm-hmm. You know, down uh, you know down to Wilder Penfield the Elementary School, and I was I was just bouncing around at that Selwyn House for. Uh, a couple of years and then came back down to, to the West um, uh, to finish up at Manual Christian School. And then uh, I was at Dawson, you know, for like uh, three years uh, before. Mm-hmm. So I, I've, I've been, you know, in the city, like I've known, you know, a, anyone that's, you know, at least uh, close to my uh, age range, you know, I think it's more of more of the younger guys that, you know, may, may not know uh, as much about me, but, you know, anyone from the city in, in, in that age range, you know, definitely know, uh, you know, knows about me in terms of, you know, me being around. Right. Well, I know your name is going to ring out in Montreal for sure. But when you left there and you went to junior college for a bit down in Florida, and then you ended up at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, that has a rich history in basketball, yeah. uh, you know, with Jerry Tarkanian. Was your coach Dave Rose when you were no, there? No, um, Lon Kruger. Lon Kruger was your coach. So, like yeah. Jerry, 
And I think mm-hmm. didn't he pass not too long ago? Blessed that to Lon Kruger. I think he passed. Ooh, Tark, no, 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 Tark did. I thought Lon Kruger passed, and his son is, is there now. No, but maybe. Well, no, no, like, like well, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> maybe I'm not understanding. Like when you say pass, like, like passes in, like, like passed away. Just, no, no. Oh, he didn't. I thought yeah. I know his son is running the program yeah, 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 up yeah, there yeah. now. His son is running. No, <laughs> no. So okay, uh, uh, Coach Kruger, he's in um, at, at Oklahoma uh, right now. You know, right That's exactly right. yeah but very good program there you know they've had like trey young uh, uh buddy healed you know he's had like mm. a lot of good players come through that program and you know doing you know what he's you know always been able to do and that's build you know really good programs uh, uh kev was uh you know i actually played with kevin on my uh our, both our last years at unlv and he uh, was you know coached with his dad for a bit, and then you know decided to go out on his own, and eventually uh, you know found himself in in that situation in UNLV. So um, you know definitely uh, you know ha- happy to see that too. You know it's nice to see you know all that stay in the family. Well, you talked about playing at UNLV and playing with Kevin Kruger, but you didn't mention the fact that you were the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year back <laughs> then. You're, if I'm not mistaken, your senior year, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we had it was honestly like that was one of my most enjoyable seasons uh playing playing basketball. It was a you know crazy year. We uh we, we actually uh went to the Sweet 16 that year. Um mm-hmm. you know, so we were we were the Cinderella story, you know the you know the 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 underdog team that you know kind of came out of nowhere. Um the the program had been through so much also. So when when I got to the school, uh that was Lon's first year. And um, it was also the first year that basically, if anyone understands the history, we were eligible for everything at that point. So all the sanctions and everything from things that happened before uh, were were gone. And so, you know, we're trying to, you know, this is a historic program that, you know, obviously is, you know, won uh, one national championship. And so to, to be able to be back and that was the first time you know, pretty much since, you know, the days of Tark that, uh, you know, we've been, uh, been back, uh, you know, to, uh, to to being able to, to play in March. So uh, it, it was it was huge, like exciting time in the city. Like like I was able to, you know, have have a really good uh, a really good year uh, in terms of uh, you know being being the defensive player of the year. And um, you know, it, it was it was just a lot of fun playing basketball uh, uh, right then. And you know, it was it was a tough road, you know, to to be able to get there. So like to finally after all that to you know be able to have. You know that type of season, that type of year. Um, you know, it, it definitely stands out as uh, as as one of my uh, favorites. Well, I do want to talk to you about that year and putting a spotlight on yourself, because going into the draft that year, did you have any idea that you might get drafted or where you might go or if you would even play in the NBA? Because I don't think people realize how very difficult it is to make the NBA. There are, at the time, there's there's only 450 jobs. Right. right, right. And so, a lot of those guys, a lot of those jobs are filled. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, definitely. So, so going into it, I was really so me going to UNLV, like quick rundown. I, I left uh, after I finished JUCO. It was, you know, I had an option. One of the options was for me to, you know, try and redshirt and have an opportunity, you know, then to, you know, like, you know, you know, play professionally. And that's when mm-hmm. honestly the wheel started turning in terms of being a pro. 
Um, I, I last minute turned down a school. Uh, I was supposed to actually go to go to Nebraska, redshirt, and then play two years. You know, playing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, playing playing a big conference over there. Um, you know, at the Big Twelve and everything, it'd be you know like really good for me. But uh, UNLV came uh, last minute, gave me the opportunity to play right away, and so you know, wanted to you know still be able to play and wanted to kind of start my clock early if I was able to you know uh, uh, play professionally. I decided to go over there, played the first year. Um, no, had, had had just a solid year, but we uh, we had a situation where there was a lot of development that you know that they saw could 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 come from me, and so I I ended up redshirting the next year. So going into my senior year, I ended up redshirting, and the whole plan was you know for me to redshirt, have a big senior year, and then get a chance to play professionally. It wasn't so much for the NBA, like you know, Coach Kruger, he 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 coached in the in in the NBA, so like he knows that type right. of talent. He told me like, look, like this is a situation where you could you know, play and, you know, as a pro go overseas. And then after that year, you know, I feel you, you could develop to a point that, you know, you, you could, after that year, come back and and have a chance to play in the league. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so my, my whole thought process was, you know, I was just going to be a pro, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the, that that's when I, I took, you know, another step, you know, for myself where like that, that's, you know, my, my whole focus. So, um, you know, redshirted that year, probably one of the toughest years I had to deal with then um, not playing and, you know, seeing everyone, uh, you know, go, go ahead and, and play and kind of felt, you know, at, at that point, like kind of abandoned, you know, some, some of my guys, cause like I wanted so much to play with them, you know, especially right. one of my teammates, uh, Lewis Amundsen, who ended up playing in the league. Like he ended up yeah. playing for like, like a bunch of years, like we were really close and it was tough, you know, for us not to, uh, you know, play, uh, play together. But, and was uh, finished off that senior year and uh you know had had a really good uh really good year uh for 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 myself but you know that there was no you know i wasn't on any draft radar or anything like that mm. and so when i ended up picking an agent you know he was uh you know a really good agent from uh from vegas uh mike higgins he you know he he told me you know as you know he's real honest straight to the point guy and he said look i, I don't know if i can even get you a workout I, I'm just mm. you know, going to make sure I work for you. You know, he has, mm. you know, he's been in the business uh, a long time. You know, he's had uh, a lot of different guys, but he he has his own agency and he was like more of a smaller agent, which I, you know, was better. I felt was better for me. I didn't want to go with a, you know, a big agency um, that, you know, I, I felt, you know, just be a number. Slip, yeah, you know, slip through the cracks or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I, I trained in Vegas um, over at Impact with uh, uh, Joe Bunazar that, uh, that summer. And eventually someone basically backed out of a workout in uh, uh, over in Phoenix and and they, they end up calling me. They're like, look, like we need someone to come in like right now. And so, you know, I, I, I left Vegas, flew over there for the workout, you know, I ended up having like a pretty solid workout. You know, they actually, you know, Phoenix actually asked me back. And that's when, you know, from from there. You know some more workouts started to come people started to hear more about me it was like well this is an intriguing guy like you know like want to know like you know you know more and more about him and uh you know we feel like he might have some potential and so uh you know by by the end of the summer like i had like i'd gone through like like 11 you know like workouts you know, <laughs> different so literally to the point that i was like i was exhausted like i remember being in cleveland and one of the teams i would have loved to have worked out for was dallas 
And mm. I remember my agent was like, look, like you don't have to, but like Dallas called and they want to know if you want to, you know, come for a workout. And now I couldn't believe I was saying it, but I was just like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, like I can't go on a plane and like, go, you know, give a workout. I was like spent. And People so, don't know how difficult these workouts are. Oh yeah. Like, 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 it's like, like, like they put you through it. Like they're, they're, they're trying yes, to sir. say like, like these teams are trying to make an investment in you. You know, so right. like they're they're putting you through it in, in everything, you know, physically, you know, mentally, they're, you know, like question, you know, asking you questions, trying to, you know, find out about your character. There's a whole bunch of background checks that you don't even know about um, right. that's that, that that's going on. Like these teams have to do their due diligence because, you know, I also like their, their jobs are online. You know, guys are going to get fired if, you know, they they don't make the right decisions. Um, so, uh, you know, fast forward to the draft, you know, as expected, uh, didn't didn't get picked, you know, wasn't surprised. But what my agent did tell me is that, you know, like, like right after the draft is when you'd start getting calls. And so right after um, uh, Miami uh, ended up, uh, ended up calling in Sacramento. And I basically had the choice between the two. Uh, so some other teams called, but they all had like non-guaranteed deals. Those two had partial guaranteed, you know, contracts for me. So mm. you know, it was no brain in terms of that. And, you know, we just ended up, uh, you know, deciding on Miami. It seemed like uh, the, 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 the better fit, you know, the team that had, um, you know, a, a philosophy that, in that, that was based on, you know, hard work and defense and, you know, it, it just, you know, it seemed like it could be a good fit for me. So, you know, that that's where, uh, that's where we went. I didn't hurt to have, you know, uh, Mr. Wayne County, down there uh, doing this thing as well. And, but I, I want to know something about your intrigue with Dallas at the time when you were going to work out. Why did you, why were you so keen on, on Dallas? Uh, honestly, like if, when, when you looked at Dallas, like it seemed like it was like, it seemed like, like a really good environment for, for, for a player in terms of how they, they, they took care of players. You know, mm. that, that was something that, that I know it's actually, I was one of my teammates was uh, uh, Jason Terry's uh, brother, uh, Curtis Terry. So, mm-hmm. you know, Kurt would, would, would you know, like, like tell us a little bit because like he, he'd go over there and, and, and see Jed. And, and so he would actually, you know, like, like he, he would end up telling us, you know, a little bit about like what it was like, you know, over there in Dallas. And so, you know, the, that, the, the, that made me, you know, intrigued about it. on top of what I already saw, you know, on mm-hmm. TV. And, you know, also there, uh, I just felt they're, they're a really good uh, uh, organization. Okay, well, you were there in Miami for a couple of years, and then 2010 comes up, yeah. and there are four big free agents that end up signing in Miami. Now, I'm going to play this game called the Association. You can tell me about these free agents. One of them, and remember, I said four. Right. Right. So, am I, am I mistaken with my numbers? Uh. Like, I think we had more than four. Like I just like, know like that had, there were four. You know, there were four free agents that led <laughs> to those championships years that I can speak of. Four in a particular, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say their name, and you tell me what you think about these people. Um, the first person, Christopher Wesson Bosch. I'm, I'm sorry, you said Christopher. Christopher Wesson Bosch. Wesson Bosch. That's his middle name, Wesson. That's funny. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> I wish I knew that serious? when we were playing. His middle name is Weston. Yeah, he, he, he yeah, I would have messed with him <laughs> with that because he used to always mess with my name. He'd call me Joel all the time because his brother was named Joel. So mm-hmm. like to like mess with me, he'd like call me Joel. I was like, no, it's Joel. Like like mm-hmm. he didn't say it, but 
that, 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 that was just a joke, um, you know, that we used to, we used to have. But okay, I, I didn't know Wesson. All right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So CB was there. Okay, and the next one, of course, as I said before, Dwayne Tyrone Wade Jr. Yep. Yeah. What do you think about him? Great guy. Like I was, you know, I, I was um, obviously with him my entire time in in Miami. You know, he's uh, a big part of the reason that I ended up uh, uh, resigning. Um, you know, uh, had you know, for for someone that was, uh, you know, that was a superstar in the league. You know, in terms of how humble he, you know, like he is and how he treated everyone. You know, he's you know, just like, like one of, you know, like one of the best, uh, you know, teammates I could have, you know, I could have had, you know, especially in terms of someone that was, you know, of, of that caliber of player, um, you know, just, just amazing. And also I obviously like to, you know, to, to be on the floor with him and, you know, mm. uh, to, to see him, to see him play at that level was, uh, was amazing as well. Well, the, the, the fourth free agent I'm going to name is, Joel Vincent Anthony, because <laughs> you were a free agent at that time. Yeah. And you talked about like the comfort you felt with them. And I think a comfort was a big deal for you. Feeling like you had a place where you can contribute and, and that the team framework and the identity and the culture around that team meant a whole lot to you. So the third free agent I'm talking about, <laughs> um, what do you think about that guy? Uh, that guy, like the, that guy almost, you know, wasn't sure how it was going to go. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, I played, you know, three years before that, you know, and so I just knew going into the off season that I, I wanted to come back. And I was like, mm -hmm. look, like, I wanted to come back. I actually had a player option that I declined because I was like, look, like I'm going to come back. You know, there, there, there's going to be a lot of room on the cap now and everything. You know, I'll be able to resign. Like, it'll, it'll be, you know, like probably my, my you know, it, it was going to be like like my first deal, you know, like like real, like, like multi-year deal. And so um, I was I was really looking forward to, you know, having an opportunity to, you know, like to, to get a chance to play there. And so it was it, it was for me like a really exciting offseason. And then I heard D-Wade, you know, once free agency started, you know, my agent's like, look, they're going to take care of, you know, all, you know, all the top guys and like like they'll, they'll 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 get to you you know still talking you know do due diligence talk to other teams and everything like that you know d d wade signs chris signs i was and like then, oh yeah I, 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 I was like oh okay like we you know like like we really have something i was like yeah like, like this is gonna be great like you know cb at the four i'll be at the five and you know wait and you know like this is gonna be great and then i'm at home and i'm you know, I just had the decision on like in in the background, and then I hear I'm taking my talents to Miami, and so <laughs> I literally remember looking outside. I saw fireworks go up. Fireworks were, were going off like right after you said that. <laughs> in the city fireworks start going off. Are you serious? And, and this is not like Miami did this. Like these are people in Miami. You know, mm. fireworks are going off. My phone is absolutely you know like blowing up now. Then the interview like goes on mentions me and Rio in the, in the interview. And for those who don't know, Rio is on Mario Bernard Chalmers. Right, right, right. Did you know his middle name was Bernard? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I, I made sure he, he knew that I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and so uh, phone starts, you know, blowing up even more after that. I'm over here, like, I just declined a player option. Mm. You know, what did I? Is there going to be enough did, change for me on the like, table? Yeah, like I was like, like there's, there's no way, you know. Mm. And so I'm like, 
you know, what, you know, like, what do I do? Funny enough, Jermaine O'Neal uh, uh, messaged me because we, we had played uh, that the previous year, and he was like, you know, the first thing, because, like, he called for a reason, but, you know, the first thing was, why'd you, why'd you decline the option? Right. <laughs> you know, like, like you're, you're, and I was like, look, like, we're trying to work on something, like, I'll see how it goes. Um, but he, he, he was actually, you know, uh, recruiting me to see if, uh, I, I'd, I'd be open to, to try and play for, uh, uh, Boston. Right. You know, because like, like Boston was, was obviously, you know, like, like still, you know, still, you know, very strong and trying to make, uh, you know, trying to make another run. And I, I was like, people didn't understand. Like I was now like a free agent and, you know, I felt that I might've been, you know, I, I, I might, might've you know, been in a bad position where I wouldn't be able to like get back on this team because I was like, look, they have too much going on. And so my agent, you know, uh, you know, I talked to him and, you know, he reassured me like, look, like they have your birds rights and, you know, you'll, you'll be able to sign, you know, like after, after everyone signs, you know, it'll, you know, it won't count against cap and everything like that, you know, so basically explained to me the rules of it. And, you know, that helped at least ease, ease my mind a little bit. You know, and so, but it was definitely, you know, very, uh, very excited, you know, for, for the opportunity. And eventually, yes, you know, I, I did, I did sign and, um, it was, you know, to me, like just a really special, you know, like moment, not just, you know, the, the, the contract itself was, you know, what was great. You know, I was happy, you know, I excited. I remember talking to one of my friends, uh in montreal about it you know that like like wow like i'm really about to like sign you know sign this deal and but more importantly like telling my mom you know and like letting her know like, i didn't want to mm-hmm. like you know jinx myself so i was like look like like we're, 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 we're gonna be good like you know i promise like everything you know all this stuff that i talked about when i was in college in terms of wanting to go pro and you know putting myself in in, in a good situation that that will be fine um you know like like it's finally you know here and so but the biggest thing was that with this team that was being built and everyone that was named and you know I, I'm, I'm sure we're, we're leaving out you know one more for for you oh, after that guy <laughs> on, on a podcast to be honest with you and i'm gonna keep it a buck people get emotional when you hear, they hear his name so we've yeah. given him a new name as i'm prone to giving people nicknames and all kinds of stuff like that so on this program he is the hashtag he who shan't be named um <laughs> really I kid you not. Oh, like emotional. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, but but we can say it because he was your teammate. I'll, I'll allow you to say it. You, you say oh. his name because he was the guy who got whatever you left on the table for him when, when he came in. <laughs> that guy, what was his yeah. name? So, uh, obviously, uh, Ron James, you know, so. No so, so basically, having a team like, you know, Bron being on the team now, you know, all these guys being here. You know the fact that they're obviously trying to build something where you know like we're you know they're looking to go for a championship it's championship or bust right now like this is mm. a a actual contender and to be a part of that was something that was really special like the two things that are most important to me were trying to improve as a player and winning you know that was you know like since you know since i left montreal those were literally the two things that i've you know cared about the most you know well, you know, more than anything, I didn't, you know, think about anything else, like not even pro, you know, playing pro. It was just in terms of basketball, like that was it, you know, because yeah. that's what that's what I wanted to do. Those are the things that made me, you know, like feel better and, you know, and like, gave me joy in terms of, you know, how, how I approach the game. 
And so <laughs> to be a part of that, that's what was really special, you know, to me where I was like, oh, like, you know, after this time and all these other people that, that are available and, and that were, you know, beating down the door, <laughs> you know, trying to, Play it, yeah. you know, just trying to, trying to get in, like, you know, like I was someone that, that they wanted to be a part of. That was something that was, you know, that, that, that really got me and was, was probably the, the biggest thing for me. Well, what did you think about the hashtag? He who shan't be named. What do you think <laughs> about playing with him and, and him being a part of what you guys were building down there uh, on South Beach? Uh, you know, it, it was it was crazy. Like to to be able to one like that season, that first season was the most insane season that like any of us had ever seen in, ter- in terms of it, even players. Like we had like Juwan Howard who played for like you know at that time I think like seventeen years, um, mm. and so no one had ever ever seen anything like that. You know, in terms of like the media, like how everyone was responding to us, like it was a total different energy. And mm. so, you know, being a part of that, because that is something that he brought. And also like, we like, because, you know, like, like, like the three of them all together and how they did it, you know, everyone, you know, it, it rubbed, you know, like a bunch of people the wrong way. And so the, the, the type of energy that, that, that we had to deal with was like absolutely crazy. And so having to go through that season um, and deal with that, and then, but to like play with him and see how he was, because, you know, we, we know how it was playing against him, you know, I mm-hmm. played against him like the past three years and seeing how he was, um, you know, on the floor and like, you're, you're always, you know, like obviously you're, you're competing, but you're always, you know, you, you end up coming up, coming across like sometimes amazed and impressed with, with, with how good he actually is, but to play with him and to be able to see that live, and then see that every day and and what it is that goes into all of that like that's what was really special in terms of seeing you know like how you know like how high his like iq really is you know and mm. to see like how you know like athletic like he really you know really was every day and how you know skilled in his understanding of the game it was you know everything what was a high level and now you know we were all and and we're all still just putting all this together but also as you know as we're doing this you know we're all learning and so we're all trying to you know we all have one common goal you know which is uh which is to win a championship and so that was you know going through that process together and and going through those battles and everyone you know even though we all had our own individual battles to to go through you know seeing seeing that growth from everyone and obviously especially him where he had, you know, climbed, you know, finally climbed this mountain because he had, you know, obviously like the most pressure out of anyone uh, individually. And to see like, well, where, well, where he had gotten to, you know, once he had done that, you know, was, well, was incredible just being, you know, being a part of that. Well, you being there and the uneven start, because you talked about not only the pressure from the media and the fan standpoint, but guys in the league who are rubbed the wrong way about guys exercising their free agent rights. I mean, you had the right to go where you want to go. There's a reason why you guys, as a union with the MBPA, fought so hard, hard to have the kind of CBA that allowed you to go and apply your trade where you wanted to after you served a certain number of years under your contract, right? And for whatever reason that people feel like they were stacking the team or whatever the case might be, you start up really uneven. You're at nine and eight the first 17 games. You guys yep. are still trying to figure it out. You end up going to the NBA Finals. 2011 NBA Finals against the Dallas Mavericks, all people and all teams. 
um, ended up losing in six. What was that experience like? Because I can remember how people talked about Chris Bosh breaking down in tears after game six, you know, also being a guy from Dallas and how the expectation that this team, because of the talent that was there, would automatically beat a team that actually had a better record than the Miami Heat that season. Like, like the, the process was, you know, it, 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 it's a journey, right? So you're, we're, 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 we basically are going into it. You know, everyone's obviously excited. You know, fans are excited. We're excited, you know, go through it. It's not always going to work out, you know, obviously how, how you want it, you know, how, you know, how you want it to. Like very few teams that are put together, you know, when you put together a big team like that are just, you know, in terms of automatically winning it that first year, you know, Boston might've been like one of the few, like, I don't know the stats, but like Boston is one of the only ones I can really think about that as soon as they acquired like a whole bunch of free agents, cause you know, like they, they, they put together a whole, a whole big three right away. And, mm. um, and it, it was obviously like more, more than that, like with Rondo and everyone else that they had um, and, and were able to win that same year, you know? Mm. And so, you know, for us, it was, you know, really trying to figure things out and, it was at least like with with those growing pains, like we're all in this together. It wasn't like, well, it's he's not doing this and he's not doing that. Like part of part of the issue was those guys, because they wanted to make it work so badly, they they were so unselfish to a fault where mm. it was like, OK, like you like your turn. OK, I, I went now. It's your turn. And, you know, instead of, you know, figuring out like more how to like play with each other. And so it was it was a process. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, like we went like nine and eight. And so if anything, like we needed that boost. And so um, I think the last loss was might have been Portland. Um, And then the next game we were going to Cleveland and it was going to be our first time playing Cleveland. And so when you need, you know, sometimes you need something to, you know, give you, you know, a boost. And so that game, it was obviously like we knew how huge it was. And to this day, including the NBA Finals and any other game I played in, it was like the most intense game I've felt in terms of like the interaction with everyone else. I've never felt that type of energy you wow. know, in in a game before. And this is mm-hmm. like compared to like all the highest playoff games and everything like that. It was like literally like deafening in terms of like the sound. Couldn't hear anything like from as soon as we got onto the court and then it somehow got louder every time, you know, <laughs> Braun made a layup and they, they put it on, uh, on the jumbotron and, and something like that. And they go nuts. And so that was the game where we at least decided, you know, we, we still didn't have, have everything figured out, but we were all collectively together and our energy that went into it was like, look, like we have to do this for, you know, like, like, like our, our brother in arms right here. Like, like this is like, we need to get this game. And, mm-hmm. You know, everyone, you know, like we're, we're all really on the same page, played great. And we we're, were able to get that win. You know, that was that was obviously really important to us and obviously important to him. But that really like helped catapult us into, you know, like we went on a run after that and mm. and started to, you know, really get our, you know, get, get our foot in and get our flow. You know, so as we as we went on through the season now. You know, trying to, you know, still still finding our way once we got to the playoffs. Um, you know, we were we were really clicking. You know, we were really mm-hmm. clicking when we got to the playoffs. And a, a lot of times it's it's on that uh momentum. Like 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 a lot of times it, it really is that. 
and 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 that's you know like kind of what we had um you know going into the playoffs that that helped us you know just kind of make that run like we we went basically it was basically like gentleman sweep like all the way until you know like un, until Dallas like we went four and one in in, in all those uh in those first three series I mean not only from a player standpoint did you guys have some questions and how that would work as far as all the talent and how that talent would be distributed and how it would work together. But as I continue with the association in conversation with general manager of the CBLs, Montreal Alliance, Joel Anthony, former two-time, or it's never former, you can never be a former two-time champion, <laughs> two-time NBA champion, Joel Anthony. Two of the guys in the association I wanted to talk about and touch on because they're a great part of that culture there mm-hmm. is Patrick James Riley. <laughs> And Eric Spolstra, who was, to a lot of people, just a video guy who got a shot right. at being the head coach of this collective known to many as the Heatles. But really, what would, what did Spo do? What did Pat Riley do to help you to know that this thing was going to work out, even if it didn't work in the first season? What was it about how they managed the, the egos and the culture of Miami to become the Miami Mafia, as they now call it? Oh, that's what, what was that like out? back in 20? Yeah, they called it the Miami Mafia because of Pat Riley, you know, passed the Godfather down. Well, so. yeah, like in terms of Pat being the Godfather, yeah. You know, it, it's uh, a lot of it is based off of uh, the culture. Well, one, you know, this is already a championship organization because, you know, they they, they won the first championship in, in 06. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they actually have, you know, this is an organization that already has the DNA itself. Mm-hmm. Pat himself obviously has, has been able to one – uh been able to win uh you know championships uh over you know with the lakers he had a very good organization over at the knicks and so now he had developed you know the this uh this organization in miami that has a culture now that you know is about excellence accountability you know hard work like it is like like he has that etched into every you know because he did it as as a coach within that organization. And as he, you know, went, went up to becoming just president, it was, you know, it, it was, it was the same, you know, the same thing. Like, and you felt that throughout the entire organization. And there was that structure, that high level of performance that's the, the, the that's needed, you know, and, and expected from, from everyone in terms of how you take care of yourself, how you, you know, play, like how you, you know, act, you know, off the court, like all that stuff, is is the, there was there was just a, a Miami Heat standard that was mm-hmm. that was set, and you understood that there's these rules, and you will abide by these rules. You know, there is <laughs> no. there, there might have been you know a bit you know the, the, the strictness uh, maybe of it might have been you know uh, too much for 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 certain people. Honestly, um, you know it, it it wasn't for everyone. You know, like everyone mm-hmm. everyone wanted to be in Miami. You know, I think you know, I question. Yeah, you know, like like you know, Miami's great in the off season. Everyone loves coming down during the season, but but being part of this organization, there's there's certain expectations that you have to meet, and so because they they hold everyone across the board like to that accountability, you know, yeah. I, I feel it, it was it was the the type of structure that was that was needed that if you were able to get the right pieces in, you'd be able to you know like have you know the the type of run that we're able to have. And, you know, and, and Spo was what was just an extension of, you know, he, he learned, um, you know, everything in that organization from, you know, and if anything, it was better like that because he learned 
from the video room all the way up. And then by the time I got there, he was, you know, I was there Pat's last year as a, as a head coach. And then mm-hmm. Spo was, you know, Spo was the assistant putting people through like the craziest workouts. Like, you know, he, he did a lot of that on the, you know, uh, skill, skill development side, um, you know, and, and was, you know, the top assistant. And once he, you know, ended up, you know, taking the reins, like he had all these years of, you know, all the, you know, all the influence in terms of, you know, how we do things, you know, in, in that organization. And it, it just, you know, we basically applied that to like everyone that was coming in. And so with that team that was put together, like, like that's, that's basically what it was. Like there's a standard that you have to meet. It doesn't matter. Like it didn't matter who, you know, who you were, you know, right. like, that, like whether it was Braun or, you know, like our, you know, uh, Terrell Harris or like that's right. or someone that like just came, you know, just came on. Like it didn't matter, you know, w- with that team, like there's these expectations that they, that they have and, you know, you, you, we, we definitely have to have to meet them. And so I, I think that, 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 that just helped with that, that type of structure and discipline and, and understanding how to, uh, how to win and having that accountability that, uh, you know, helped us, uh, you know, really, uh, uh, figure things out. Did that help you all that, that, that Spo, that Pat Riley, gave to the culture of that and the continuation of that culture. And even in the loss, did it help you to say, okay, let's find some victory in this loss and come back and run it back again. And in 2012, do you think that was the difference in 2012? Meeting the team that had defeated not only the 2010 NBA champions and the Lakers, not only the 2011 champions, the Dallas Mavericks in the playoffs, and then beat a team that had won 21 straight games in the San Antonio Spurs. Like everyone was saying, Oklahoma City was about to be anointed as the new team. They had all these young guys, yeah. and Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and Sergi Baca and James Harden that were supposed to be the new faces. And here you guys are who had put together this team as opposed to how they did it through the draft. So there's a lot of talk about that. On paper, and based on what they had done in the playoffs that year in 2012, it looked like, okay, Oklahoma City's about to get it all, right? right? And then you guys beat them back when we had the 2-3-2 serious uh, matchups in the finals. Right. And you hate it, by the way. Why, why is that? Why do you hate that? Oh, it's terrible. Like, you it, you, you really have more advantage as as a road team there because you have, you know, so the the, the, the home team, you know, is, is going to get, you know, you get your two games at home, mm-hmm. and then you have to go on the road and win three straight. Right. Three straight. Not three straight, but like, okay, you, you have to win one. But no, you really have to. If you give up one, you have to win two on the road. Mm-hmm. And so, in and so, having to win two on the road, like that's what's tough. Because if, if you're going on the road, I'm saying like, yeah, like I could go, you know, two, you know, if we go two for three on the road, like we're we're good. You know, one for three, like you're done. Right. You know? So, so it, it was it was way it was it, it's way tougher, especially and like that's the thing you just can't. Like if you lose one of those games at home, like you're 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 in trouble. Like like one of those first two games at home, like you're in trouble. As opposed to the the, the two, 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 two 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 one one one, one. right format. Yeah, it's you're you're gonna have you know if you lose one of those games, like if if you get like just one game on on the road, you're even coming back you know coming back home for. For uh, for for game five, and you're like at this point, you're like, yeah, like, like we'll take care of home now in game five. You win game five, and then you just have to fight, 
you know, like like fight like crazy to get that get that game six on uh, on the road. But at least like you're getting and granted, like game seven is really a toss up. Like there's mm-hmm. you know, well, you guys didn't even see a game seven in 2012, because like you said, if you split those first two at home and Oklahoma City was the home team. Exactly. Right? Like, like you guys they were, never left Miami. Exactly. <laughs> like and, and that that's that's exactly what, what we said to each other. We're like, we're not going back on the plane to OKC. Like, wow. we, like, like we absolutely are not. And so we had, you know, we, we basically had and, and for us, we we did what we're supposed to do, getting Get uh, yeah, you know, like so like, like getting the split and then you know after that, like we're we're just like look, like we just have to, you know, make sure we, we, we take care of home. And do what we're supposed to do and like we'll be in good shape and more than anything i feel you know like you said like those teams were built and you know we definitely felt that we were going to see okc we're like oh this is the team that we're going to see in the finals again mm. you know for sure and i, I guess to, to say that you you really don't know how things are going to go in the league because once you get into like free agency and the off season that's when everything changes because mm. we wanted to see dallas in the finals but right, because of right how back. their off season went you know, it was totally different where they, you know, finished, you know, ended up winning the championship and, you know, let go like two of their their biggest pieces. You know, Tyson Chandler went to New York. Uh, I don't think uh, J.J. Barrera uh, did, didn't sign back. Like, you know, and like like that team, like essentially like kind of, you know, kind of broke up like after winning it, you know, mm-hmm. they, they weren't even really trying to run it back. And so for us, we were just saying like, this is our time, like. Like OKC, like they're you know like we we felt they were next, but they weren't now. <laughs> like right. that was, that was <laughs> no doubt. Thing. Like like they were next, but they weren't now. And and this is you know like the, definitely our time to be able to you know to 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 be able to win this uh we'll win this championship. We we had been through you know though that 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 tough road, all those valleys and uh, ups and downs, and so. You know, we, we uh, you know, and, and even if, you know, people wanted to say like we, we were humbled by, you know, that 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 first uh, loss in the finals. And, you know, we, we didn't and we also never felt that we had to be humbled or like we had to lose to be able to, you know, get to that point. But right. we were at that point that that second year, like everyone was extremely locked in, extremely focused, you know, tight, maybe a little wound up. But, you know, like we we're very on point in terms of being ready to, you know, win that championship. Well, you guys turn your pain into champagne. And <laughs> that had to be the sweetest thing of all. We're going to come back with a little bit more on the other side of this on the open run with Will Strickland. the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic to the speaker in conversation with two-time NBA champion and current general manager of the CBL's Montreal Alliance, Joel Anthony. Joel, you win the championship in 2012. You go on their expectations to win it again, run it back again. You don't know who's next. And you end up with the second longest streak. As I say on the podcast, it is a losing strike. You took a strike from losing, and you won the second longest losing strike in NBA history behind the L.A. Lakers of 71-72 with 27 straight games. 
Now, the makeup of that team is a little bit different. What does it take to win that many games in a row as a unit that had already won the championship? Like, did that galvanize you guys even more going toward the 2013 uh, playoffs and eventually the NBA championship? Um, really, at that point, like, we're – you know, if when when you're able to keep like a, a group together, you know, like a really good group together, and you're able to have, um, you know, a really solid core and an understanding of how you're going to play, you know, that that's what one of the biggest things. Like for us, you know, we're you know at the beginning we we're trying to find our way, and so by that point, especially after winning and going through all those battles, like we knew who we were, and not mm-hmm. only that anyone that was coming, you know, to our team, like they knew what it, what it was that, that we wanted. And it was very clear and specific. And so it was, you know, it, it was really easy to have, you know, like anyone that was coming into the game, like understand their job and execute their role. And so we were at the point where like, when we started to, to go on that winning streak, like you're really almost on autopilot where like, we're just doing the same things all the time. Like you see it on the teams that have, you know, great continuity. Like I think the Spurs would be like, like pr- pretty much the, like the prime example where mm. you would see in, in seasons, they go on like these, like, you know, like 12 game, like winning streaks. And it would be because like everyone understands like what they're supposed to do. Everyone's playing at a really high level, you know, everyone's healthy, feeling good. And so that that's when you're able to, you know, have, have those type of runs. And with us, it was, you know, like, it, it was pretty amazing. Um, It, it was you know, obviously there was so much talk about it, but mm. it literally got to the point that we're just like, you you don't want to lose, but you're like, man, like, like, were they like, this is That's like 40% of your season. About. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, and we were, we were able to, you know, like, like just string up like all these games. But like I said, like, it just felt like we're on, we're on autopilot. And because like, we just knew what it was we're supposed to do. Do you remember what sparked it and when it when it first started? Because I've heard stories. I've heard a couple of stories, and you might remember this because one of the stories happened in Toronto, Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Toronto, uh, it was Super Bowl weekend. Um, we finished playing the Raptors. So usually, um, what 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 we end up doing, especially on on a Sunday game, you know, get on a get on a plane, get get on the plane, and then just fly back. And so, you know, especially on, on an early game, you definitely fly back. You're, you're not going to stay, you know, that right. night. And so uh, there was, uh, um, you know, guys were like, it's, you know, Super Bowl Sunday. Like, like we we want to watch the game. And so we've uh, kind of fought and, and petitioned to, uh, to be able <laughs> to stay. Right. Because and obviously, like with so many Americans on the team, we're like, well, this, this is un-American. You can't have us right. you know, be, be in the air, be in the air during Super Bowl Sunday. Like, no, they like, like we we want to be able to watch the game. And so, you know, after uh, you know uh, some, uh, some 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 conversations, um, we uh, we actually you know to change change the plans. Ended up staying, uh, so you know we 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 had a whole section uh, over there at uh, at Real Sports. Um, you know, went over there, you know, had some food, drinks, uh, you know, and, and we were able to, to to watch the game and have a good time, um, uh, you know, and, you know, just, just another, like, really good, like, bonding experience. And when when we talk about it, like, that's one of the, like, the, like, the moments we, you know, like, we, we definitely look back on and, and remember the most just because, like, it was so much fun, especially to do something different. And mm-hmm. especially in an organization that, 
you know, is very much by the book in terms of like how we how we do things, you know. So um I heard was, he's one of the most buttoned down guys, at least to people on the outside in the world who made that who helped to make that happen in Shane Battier. Yes, yes. Don't yeah, forget yeah, yeah. Shane is yeah. from Detroit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like <laughs> Shane, like, like Shane. Actually, Shane was. I think Shane was the one that made like, like the comment like, that this is un-American. Like, we need to be, <laughs> we need to be doing this, right? And, and you know, Shane would often, you know, like he definitely has the, the the respect from 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 guys in the locker room, and so uh, a lot of times he would uh, definitely be the voice of reasoning with uh, with different things. If you know there was ever uh, you know ever issues or you know comments or like people weren't understanding like what they wanted to do or maybe upset about something, like he would you know definitely help you know him and especially like like Juwan Howard, like those are guys that would you know help you know kind of like bring everyone you know in a little bit more and, and together and kind of get everyone you know back on the same page. Right. And but but Shane was was definitely the one that you know ended up what uh, was was definitely one of them. Um, you know, in terms of uh, you know pushing for us to be able to to stay and uh, and and uh, watch the game. If you think about what we're saying here, and what you've been mentioned a couple of times, whether it be you or Mario Chalmers or Jawan Howard or Shane Battier, if you look at those two guys. Like Jawan was used to that spotlight because of what he did at Michigan with those guys. They were like the heatles of college right, back in right, the day. Right. Yeah, and then Shane Battier was a national player of the year. But those guys and their egos, after making millions in the NBA and understanding what a team was about, you talked about how important those parts were. Think about the Miami Heat as a Bentley, okay? That you have the chassis, which might have been he shan't be named, or and the engine that was Dwayne Wade, and maybe the fine, rich Corinthian leather inside might have been Chris Bosch, and you might have been the piston or a spark plug, whatever the case might be. Right. But all those pieces are, are necessary for the car to run effectively. Right. And all those pieces you talked about for Shane, from Jawan, from you, Mario, and of course, the big three, as they were dubbed. It was necessary for you guys to do that and beat a team like San Antonio. If you think about cultures clashing, there could be no greater variance between unless you had a team in Las Vegas between Miami and San Antonio. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but the cultures were solid. From the foundation, with, whether it's Pop, whether it's you know Pat Riley and Eric Spolster, and th that idea behind that. Of course, you have Tim Duncan, who's like the face of that, facing these guys and having a guy like Kawhi Leonard on that team, along with the other Hall of Famers who are on that squad. 2013 was a really, really difficult series. Would you not say in the finals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Extremely tough. Uh tough series like they were you know that they're that they're obviously like extremely good and you know like like so sometimes you, you have teams that you're you're gonna you know play them at at their you know like at their highest level and you know that, that was that was one of the years that they were you know they had everything you know like clicking they had you know young uh uh Kawhi who was uh you know obviously you know about to be an upcoming star um you know that they're they, they had their their usual core of, of guys that were um, you know, in terms of like, like Tony, Manu, Tim, know that that, that were that, that were that were playing really well together. Um, you know, and everyone else, you know, like on uh, on that team because like they were, you know, always, you know, for 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 the longest, you know, known, you know, to be to to play as as a team, like as a great unit. It didn't matter who you put in, and and really like something that you know other teams like really you know were striving for. And mm -hmm. so, you know, playing against them and obviously well coached with Pop and them having the experience, 
you know, which was, I think, like the biggest piece there, or one of the biggest pieces where, you know, we had OKC where, yeah, they they were talented and you thought they were going to be there, but they didn't have the experience yet. They, they didn't right. know, you know, they didn't know the pain of losing in, in, in the finals. They didn't, you know, they also didn't know the, the joy of winning. And, and so, you know, not not really having that experience that like definitely played a factor with them. And so with San Antonio, like they knew exactly what it was. Like those mm-hmm. guys have have won and lost and they 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 know you know like what it you know like, like what it takes. And so you know that 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 series, you know, going into it, like we knew it was gonna be, you know, like an absolute battle. And so it was uh you know but but the, the, that's what you know like makes it makes it so much enjoyable because the type of competition that that that's gonna bring out. I think that having won your second championship there, having the contract, I'm sure going home was amazing, you know, and, and people knew you were in town, there are good feelings and everything. But you had to think about next steps in your career because as, you know, with anything, with success, you know, there is, as Pat most famously coined, the disease of more. Once right. you start to win, everybody wants more endorsements, they want more money, they want more time in the court. Does that did that come to play after the 2013 season and looking at what happened in 2014 and losing the finals to the same San Antonio team? I don't know if it was more like like guys were asking, you know, like asking for more. I think more it, it, it felt more like, you know, guys had just like it, it, like like things were starting to run their course. Like it was just, you know, like like remember I said like in, in 2013, especially like during the streak, like we're on like autopilot. Like, it's just like, this is just, you know, like what we do and like, we're just, you know, kind of flowing. And so, but like what happens, like, even though there is the disease of more, like what also I feel happens, like it's hard to, the one of the, the hardest things, like by far, I would say like in, in the league and to be successful in the league is to be consistent. Mm. You know, to be consistent is the hardest thing to do. Like you look at like any player that's good, they consistently do the same thing all the time. Any team that's good, they consistently play the same way all the time. And so to do that all the time, every time, over and over and over again, yeah. it's something that that ends up wearing on you, even if it's something that, you know, is, is making you successful. You know, mm. it's not easy. And that's why like, like you have teams that aren't able to like always sustain that. And then why, you know, going on, you know, you know, back, to, you know, winning back to back championships or having three peats and, you know, multiple trips, you know, to the finals. Like it's not easy because you have to do it every time over and over and over again, you know. So well, there's something to be said for that, because there are two people, two all time greats and the great William Felton Russell, who said the hardest championship is always the second one. Right. Because it's difficult to keep people motivated on that way and stay consistent, like you said, because the hunger to get there is different once you get there. Yeah. You have to find that hunger again. So imagine him finding that hunger eight years in a row or even the great Michael Jeffrey Jordan saying that when he retired and everybody holds on to this notion that somehow they were one eight straight. If he hadn't retired the two years he was going or a year and a half, he was gone. But even he said, I was burnt out. So you speak about the burnout and like it run, yeah. it run its course. Right. He's like, I don't think we would have won the next year. Imagine that, that if the Bulls and Jordan and his fans who hold on to the notion of the 6-0, and like he needed that break. The greatest player to some who ever played the game needed a break from winning. Right. It's not just so much the winning, it's all the other stuff that comes along with that and the energy and effort it takes to keep 
your team motivated and in the same frame of mind that, hey, one last year, that was last year. What are we doing now? And I, I, to be honest with you, that was a lot of what I saw in 2014 from you guys, that like San Antonio was basically the same team. They did some, they made some adjustments is how they move with ball and, and man movement. Mm-hmm. But other than that, they were basically the same team. And Miami at the time, you guys looked like, okay, enough. I don't know. Yeah. I could be wrong. I wasn't in the locker room. You were, right? Well, like, like honestly, like, and so, like, I, I wasn't, I wasn't there, like, like, you know, oh, like 2014, you were, yeah, yeah. So, like, like 2014, right. like, I had fun. Uh, I, I was, they traded January, you got- in, in January. So, like, that's January, right. January 2014, I ended up getting traded. And so, that was a Boston I, I, thing. I, yeah, to, to Boston. That's right. And My so, bad. I had, I had gone back though. Like, I, I went to like see this, uh, the, the strength coach for, uh, for, for something. And, you know, like, it's still, you know, it's still family. So, I went mm. back over there before their trip to the finals. And I mm. went into, you know, went into there. I went to the locker room and saw a bunch of the guys and everything like that. And the energy was just, you know, like it was definitely different where it had shifted. Like guys weren't, you know, it, it wasn't the same. And, you know, you, you, you felt like, like we felt that like, you know, kind of through, throughout that, you know, going through, going through that year, I don't know how, how it was exactly, you know, after, after that, you know, I, I saw them a couple of times, like, like when they played and uh, when, when we played against each other, but um mm. Like, like, like definitely that 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 feeling of, of of burnt out like they didn't have that momentum you know like like that i talked about like like when even when you know the year we lost um you know going into the playoffs that that you have you know and the, that you need you know in uh when you when you get to when you get into a series you know mm. and so when when they went into that like they didn't have that at all san antonio had that and what right. you had is that a team that you know momentum wise was like up here, and then one that was like the, that was down here in terms of them being able to click and 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 how they were going to play, and you you know you you saw like, like what what happened in in those finals like and like yeah. guys were just you know like like they're, they're, they're just what wasn't enough there you know for 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 them to be able to compete with that no doubt and and you talked about being traded to Boston I totally and I remember like it that was like. Yeah, it was in January. You talked about that before the trade deadline. Yeah. So you go to Boston, you play for three other teams in the NBA uh, before you're done with that. And, and you know, you're also, as a Canadian, Canada's getting more NBA players in the league. And now you have an opportunity to create this Canadian basketball program to compete in the Olympics, to have guys. And I think there's a misconception that if you have all these NBA guys, you're going to be successful in the international stage. And I don't think that people understand how different the game is internationally and and how some guys have to adjust to that. And again, it's a team situation. It's always the same thing. When you look at what you did in 2010, uh, the 2010-2011 season in Miami, would you say that the same thing when you're playing for Canada basketball and trying to, you know, get a team together to go to the Beijing Olympics or the London Olympics in 2012? Yeah, it's it's definitely difficult. You have uh, so I, I think like like the biggest thing uh, to me is just that you know guys haven't been playing that that style of basketball, you know. Mm. So you know all, all these other teams and all these other countries like guys are playing on like different teams, no different than 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 us. And like yeah, you could say that okay, well you know some of them have been playing playing together longer, but you know you we've still had you know cores like early on like even though like in in the earlier years with Canada basketball when we didn't have you know all the NBA talent we still had a core that was you know like uh together but I think the 
biggest thing is is that there's you know they're all used to a certain style of basketball like that FIBA style of basketball that's ingrained in all of them so mm-hmm. you know and and also professionally and the, it just extends into like what they're doing professionally so like when they come together even if guys hadn't played to, together in like a couple of years you know it, it's still the exact same you know to them it's still the same game like that been conditioned game. that way so like it, it's very easy for everyone to get on the same page whereas mm-hmm. you know if you had them you know play like you know nba style style of basketball a lot of them would would end up struggling whereas you know like our i, I wouldn't say actually i wouldn't say struggle but you know it, it would it would be a bigger adjustment, adjustment for them no you know, mm-hmm. because like obviously, like I, I do feel like a lot of them are built more to be successful in that setting in terms of like like how they how they approach the game in terms of understanding how how to really like play basketball, moving without the ball, cuts their their their, their skill set. But there's there, there's still like a, an adjustment period that you have to a different style. You know, for 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 us in North America and, and in Canada, we have like some talented players, but where you know guys have been playing in the nba the entire time you know mm. and so guys were either like playing in, yeah, and and they're they've been playing that same north american style throughout their you know their entire lives and now you're telling them okay like you're you're like our, our top players and you're all you know uh, uh nba quality players and now we're, we're going to have you put, put uh you know come together and play this this different style you know or play against this different style of basketball and it's 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 more difficult because you see even now you know team usa like they're 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 putting together their same their their same all-star team of you know nothing but you know it's nothing but but uh you know nba all-stars on their uh on their team all-stars like future hall of famers everything like that and now like they're actually struggling more against these teams and literally it is their 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 talent that is ended ended up you know like shining because and and they're all very much trying to be on the same page working together but it's more difficult the teams are better and it's you know the talent alone isn't enough and with us like we have like very talented players now but you know we don't have you know like the you know the, the, none of our guys like I do feel like you you will see some of them as future all stars but mm-hmm. like like none of the guys like currently now that that are established like that that are, you know, you're saying like, okay, well, the talent is going to be, you know, if we get close, the talent is just going to be able to totally like take over. Like the teams are good now that, that, that we're, that, that we're playing against. And we mm-hmm. have to be able to, you know, like match that same style of basketball and it's, di- and it's difficult. So uh, being able to, you know, make those adjustments is, is, is really, I, I feel like one of the biggest things that's, uh, that, that's going to be needed, you know, for, for us to, 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 to be able to really make a change. And, well, and obviously, of course, having, you know, all, all of our top guys, you know, play. Well, that's been a, a big issue in the past. It's the top guys, whether, you know, it would be from and the, the historical standpoint of Canadian basketball and, and Team Canada basketball is that certain guys, for whatever reason, felt like it was either too GGA-centric and it was all guys from Toronto or you didn't get all the right guys from Toronto because they didn't feel like they were a part or priority of that team from the Jamal McGlures to, you know, they talk about Andrew Wiggins. And now with the NBA contracts, guys are like, oh, it's a contract year. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to play. And that sense of pride for your country that some fans feel is lacking. Do you think with this new era of players coming up, I think the injuries to Jamal 
Murray and to um, Shea Gilgis-Alexander meant a whole lot to what happened with the FIBA America's Qualifying Tournament as well to go to the Olympics uh, Tokyo in 2021. Do you think the future of Canadian basketball is going to find that those guys are going to be the leaders and actually have a sense of pride for playing for the national team and actually being in competition for a medal in the Olympics in 2024 in Paris? One could only hope. <laughs> like that is, you know, we we don't really know like how how that's going to go. Like it's it's I I do feel that the national team now is is trying to do what they can to you know, bring in uh, a lot of the guys, um, you know, in, in terms of like making it feel more like a, a, a community, you know, have, have a form of culture there where like, like this is, you know, a place that they should be able to call home, you know, mm -hmm. like, like guys, you know, it, it's, it's difficult when, when you're, you know, you're focused so much on your, on your NBA season and, you know, you've, you're, you're invested so, so much into like wherever you're, you're playing and, and in that city, and you know, like like guys, you know, might spend like a lot of time there in the off season. You know, it's it's difficult sometimes to to get back and get reconnected. And I think now the national team is trying to make that switch where like they they're trying to get you know guys kind of on the same page um, uh, with that and and having guys around trying to have uh, you know the different you know the different events and situations where like you, you could you could bring guys around. And I think you know that's what's important. It's, it's been difficult, obviously, because of COVID, but um, you know, trying to at least, you know, change the narrative and make the switch that, you know, like this is something that you'd want to do, you know, in terms of playing, mm. playing for Canada, playing for your country, like this is going to be something that, you know, guys like will, will, will now like look more to do and see value in that. And I feel uh, also that if, if we're able to put a situation where, you know, guys, guys are going to see more, see more value in playing for, you know, for, for, uh, for, for the country, it's, it's obviously, you know, going to be the, one of the deciding factors in terms of, uh, you know, if they're going to, if they're going to be there. So seeing that, you know, playing for this, you know, if, if guys are worried about, you know, maybe there's, you know, some endorsements that, that they, that they, they can end up having, maybe, you know, getting them, you know, like more involved, you know, within the community so that you actually have them, you know, have them around more. And, and also like the, the job of, you know, I feel, you know, Canada as a whole and, you know, probably the Nets team as well is just making sure like like people are just more aware of, of what this program is really about and making sure like everyone is also supporting it. You know, like right. this is a program that like needs support. So, you know, as much as people say like, OK, like like we want to, you know, we, we want to make sure like all these players are, you know, have have pride and want to like play for the country and everything like that. You know, on, on the other end, you know, you, you also want to uh, know that, you know, the, the, the fans and, and everyone is going to understand like what is going on and that there's going to be that, 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 that support for them as well. Like, you know, some of these players, like they have, you know, you know, tremendous pride, like for these other countries in terms of playing for their national team, mm -hmm. but also like their national teams are like celebrated over there. Like everyone Supporting, is, yeah. you know, it, it, it's like playing for like your, 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 your local, you know, like, like if you're playing for, for, for like a, a local pro team, you know, so like, 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 I know, uh, over there in, uh, in, in Toronto, like, like playing for like, like, like his hometown team or, or right. like if, if we ever had, you know, a team in Montreal, like guys like, you know, Chris and Kim and, and against like, like playing at home, you know, everyone would like support and like rally them. So I, I feel that, you know, in, if there was more of that type of, you know, excitement and energy, you know, it's something that, that goes both ways. Like, 
you know, the, this, you know, the, this, like this basketball program really could, could do extremely well. And, you know, it, it's just about, you know, continuing to, to build on those relationships. And I think, you know, the national team is trying to go in the right direction in terms of doing that. And hopefully, you know, the, the players, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start to, uh, you know, uh, be around uh, more, uh, more, more consistently. Yeah, well, you would think in the country that birthed the creator of basketball would embrace the game as much as they do hockey. Because I think if you have that level of support for basketball in Canada, for, for as they do with hockey, especially from, a, from, from the junior nationals on up, that you would see more engagement in that way. And I think, what I just want to know what your involvement or I guess your motivation was for playing for Team Canada and being a part of that experience and playing for your country. Uh, for, for, for me, it was, uh, there, there was, I think more privately, like I had a sense of pride of wanting to play for my country. Like I wanted to play uh, for, for Canada because to me, it, it, it meant being a part of, you know, representing you know, did this country like internationally, like, like being a national, like to me, being a national team player, like actually, you know, like really, really meant something. Now I mm -hmm. do understand though, you know, what, you know, the, you know, other NBA players are, are saying, because I know when I was first coming, you know, coming out, especially, and, you know, it's difficult if you don't have the best experience, like my first year, like wasn't, you know, exactly the best. And so, I, I actually like would have had, you know, not much issue, you know, playing you know just, just focusing on, on my nba career and right. and people couldn't you know necessarily fault you for that because you know the, this is the this is your professional career like this is how you have to you know make a living for yourself mm -hmm. um and so what what happened is that you know for me like pat pat riley um you know was was basically helping to explain to me like look like like you could you could play for your national team and and you'll be fine. Like, you know, like I, I was worried about like summer league and like, you know, being around and making sure like, you know, I, I get in a position that, you know, I'll, I'll be able to, you know, pick everything up and, you know, understand, uh, you know, understand the system more. And so, you know, he was like, look, like your your, your development is is going to continue to grow. And honestly, like playing for the national team is a better situation, you know, in terms of getting games in. And so for me also, like I used it like that where. I was like, this is how I'm going to improve also and get better where I'm getting now live work and, and being able to play in like, you know, more real, you know, in, in, in more like, like game real situations. competitive, sure. competitive game situations where we're really trying to, where everyone's really trying to win something. Like you play against some of these teams, like internationally, like, like this is not that this is not like the level of intensity that, that you have in like the NBA, like summer league, like, these it's guys were serious about it. Exactly. <laughs> like this is physical, you know, by like basketball. And so, you know, like that really helped me, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of preparing and getting ready for, you know, my, uh, my, my uh, upcoming season. And so that on top of, you know, the, the, the core that we had back then, you know, guys like uh, uh, Carl English, uh, uh, Javon Shepard, Jermaine Anderson, Denver Brown, like, like there's, you know, the, a list of, of players, Jermaine Buckner, like guys that, you know, when, when we got together, it felt like family also, you know, mm -hmm. so there was that sense of community where like, we got together. It was like Thanksgiving, you know, that mm -hmm. you get together. It's Thanksgiving. You haven't seen Now, which Thanksgiving? Hold up. Which Thanksgiving, sir? Because I'm <laughs> known to reference Thanksgivings here in a way that some people find dismissive. That the Thanksgiving that happens in October, I call JV Thanksgiving. 
And I call it the one in November varsity Thanksgiving, mostly because I'm an American, so I, I can't help that part. But I'll take the thoughts on that one. So which Thanksgiving are you talking about? Are they yeah, the same I'm, team? I'm, I'm, just talking, I'm just talking Thanksgiving. I'm talking about games, games <laughs> together. Yeah. Well played, sir. <laughs> right. Um, I'm just talking about Thanksgiving. So it's, no just, it's, just, it's just getting together, um, you know, getting together with family. And so mm -hmm. that's what it felt like in, with the national team where we got together and it was like family. And so it, uh, you know, even though it, it was difficult because, you know, like, like oftentimes we're, you know, we're falling short of our goal. And, you know, like we, we, we had these expectations for ourselves and obviously like guys are guys are competitors. And so mm -hmm. for me also, it was, you know, like even, even though there was, you know, like some failures in terms of not being able to get there, wanting to get back there was also something because like I want to compete. And so mm -hmm. I was I was just focused on, you know, wanting to get back there. One of the biggest, you know, um, of things for me was in terms of, you know, I always wanted to be able to win. And so winning, you know, a championship, obviously an NBA championship was important, but I wanted to be able to get a chance to compete in the Olympics. And I wanted to be able to, you know, like, like for me to be in the Olympics and be an Olympian was like so important to me. I tell, you know, one of my friends, uh, you know, Lizanne Murphy, you know, uh, from, 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 from Montreal, she's played for the national team and, you know, she and her and, and the women's team, like they, they, they had that opportunity. And that's something, something that like, I, I, I envy, you know, like, mm -hmm. like I, I wish I, I could like, like, like get a chance to like, you know, play in the Olympics and actually say like, okay, I'm like, I'm a, an Olympian, I did this. you know, like, like yeah. as well and a, 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 able to do this. And so, you know, what, 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 what ended up happening is that after all these years, like trying to get there, and you know, for me, it was like the constant competition, the constant you know opportunities to to you know in, improve and you know continue to play, um, and also the pride of you know not just playing for the country, but also being a Montrealer over there. You know, we don't have you know we haven't had like a lot of Montrealers probably since you know really since the days of you know Trevor Williams and Wayne Yearwood and you know mm -hmm. Dwight Walton and, and all those guys. You know, like like we haven't had guys like represent you know Montreal either, and so. Like I had, I had a, also a sense of pride of like everything I wanted to do was also, you know, I was always thinking about, you know, like Montreal and, you know, yeah. I haven't been able to like, you know, be around, but in my own way, like I wanted to be able to rep, you know, represent, uh, you know, for, for my city. And so being out there as being like a Montrealer that was playing for the national team was also important. You You're know? carrying and the I, flag. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so like, like, I remember, especially back then when I was always, always wearing fitted, you'd always see me with the Expos fitted like every right. single time, like I would, you know, and people were like, like, well, where is that? And people that recognize it, they're like, Oh wow. Like I haven't seen one that's of those. High. And I was like, yeah, like that, that's where I'm from, you know, making right. sure like people always knew. And so, yeah, well with the national team, like that's really what it was about. So one of the biggest things for me is when at least we were able to qualify for, you know, for, for, you know, it's for me qualifying for the worlds at least, was what uh, was important and also you know to, to finally uh you know get, get close to the qualification for the olympics like those were things that were um you know really important to me and the uh the last qual uh, qualification for the worlds was was at least special because at least we were able to get back to the world stage you know yeah. and so they, it wasn't a year of uh, olympic year but at least the team was able to get back to the world stage. And like, I was, you know, like, like older at that point. And I knew like, you know, that we would have like other guys, you know, coming in from the league and everything like that. And like, I was fine with that. I was like, look, like, this is, you know, I have, I have no problem, you know, like, like seeing, I just want to see them, you know, for me, I was just more invested. I just wanted to see the program do well, you know? Wow. And so 
I wanted to, you know, do my part and, you know, I was able to do that to, to, to help us, you know, uh, get, uh, you know, get to that point. And it, it was just a matter, a matter of, of wanting to wanting to see that success. As much as I wanted to see it for myself as Olympian, I also, you know, cared and was invested in the program and wanted to see it do well. No doubt. And you mentioned some of the guys that were family on Team Canada. And you talked about Rock Anderson. You talked about Javon Shepard. Both are invested in this new basketball league to continue to spread the word about Canadian basketball, the quality and the talent of the basketball with this league, the Canadian Elite Basketball League, and you being the GM of this franchise, and you know, Javon's there in Ottawa, and Rock is uh, doing this thing in the CBL as well. What is it that told you first in your development phase, because you talk about Skull being that development guy, did you take from him when you were with the Hamilton Honey Badgers? And then what led to you becoming the GM of the new Montreal franchise? You said, well, what did I take from, from Spo or from Rock? Yeah. Well, no, just talking about those guys having jobs in the, the CBL, you know, continuing oh, okay. this to, to build pride in a national program and playing professionally, whether it be here or elsewhere around the world. And then that lending to what you do with the national team. You start off with the CBL in Hamilton. Right. Uh, yeah. Player development. And some of the things you learned from Spo, you talk about how crazy those workouts were and, and getting prepared. Do you incorporate some of that? Uh, for the guys in Hamilton, uh, I, honestly, so like when when I got over there to to Hamilton, you know, uh, Rock had asked me, you know, we we're we're together actually with the uh, uh, with the nine hundred five where we're helping out over there, and so mm -hmm. Rock ended up taking the GM job, and he was like, look, like I'd love for you to, you know, like at first he was like, look, you know, just just come by and like 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 help out a bit. You know, at that point, I was I, like like I, I did have uh, have an interest in, in coaching. Then uh, actually, I, I joined the the NBA's coaching program. You know, I, I was I was trying to you know find my way and see you know well, what interests I might have you know uh, after you know obviously the life after basketball, and so the the player development piece you know was was interesting to me, and so that first year um, was more like I was I, I was around, and I guess like because I just finished playing, like I was really around because we had like issues with numbers, and I was jumping right. into a lot of the practices, right? And so it got to the point where like they. I ended up like pretty much going through like the entire training camp and, mm. you know, and I was like, look, like this is, I was like, this, this looks like a setup, you know? So right. I was like, <laughs> Rock, like if, if you come to my door and like, like you have a contract ready for me, like it's going to be like, like I said, like I'm, I'm, I'm done. So like, like I'm done. And, you know, guys, guys were still asking me like, like you, you want to play? Like, like you, you can help right. us. Like, like we'd really, you know, like you're over there, but, um it was uh you know it, it was it was more of a situation where i was i was more on the floor you know uh helping out a lot <clears throat> you know and you know anything i'd see like you know uh in, in between that i would uh you know i i, I would always make uh, make mention and uh especially like with, with the bubble it was harder to really uh you know be more um uh in, in involved with with some of the stuff that was going on with, with the coaching staff i was more around uh around rock and so right. you know i i also i felt uh, around that time uh, i i wasn't in the coaching program anymore um after like a lot of the stuff happened with like covid and i had stepped away and so i was thinking in the back of my mind that you know like front office was something that i always you know i i, I used to always think about i had a friend that was uh that, that's really close to me involved with basketball that he'd always say like look like like you really be you know, you know, good with this. And I've had, um, you know, there's a program uh, at, at the NBA, uh, uh, at the NBA office in New York that they have that, 
or when I went uh when I was over dealing with some people in the league, like they were saying, like, look, like you should really like come and try and be a part of this program. And I didn't really know too much about what it was about, but you know, it seemed like it was an area that, you know, that that, that would be good for me. So, you know, I, I talked with Rock a lot and you know, what was just kind of following him and, you know, we talk about different stuff in the game and it, it was, it was more of, you know, more, more of that where I do some stuff on the court and then, uh, you know, kind of, kind of follow uh, or rock a little bit and shadow him um, with what he was doing. Um, the, the following year, rock was gone in China and didn't end up coming back uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, for, for, for that season. So he was doing everything remotely and like amazing job to be able to like do, do all that stuff remotely. And uh, I was more around, like, more on the player development, just assistant coaching side. And so working mm-hmm. with those guys, um, it was a little different because even though they knew that, you know, I had interest in, in the front office, I was still, you know, trying to do, you know, some of the coaching duties. And so I'd help out in practice, worked out some of so some of the guys. And so got a bit of a feel for, you know, for that. And I, I did have some, you know, ideas and concepts that I was thinking about that would, you know, obviously for my time in, in, in Miami and, you know, I'm, 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 I've unfortunately like been, well, not unfortunately, but like I I'm basically built like that because that is what, you know, I started out my, my pro career doing, you know, it's been yeah. you know, almost, almost seven years of like just Miami, you know, heat. So like, that's the stuff that's, uh, that's in my DNA. And, you know, I, I, I felt that, you know, I was in a position that I wanted to be able to, you know, kind of extend that as much as I could, you know, to, uh, to the guys, but not overstepping in terms of what they're doing, um, with practice. So, um, mm. fast forward to, you know, um, you know, talks about the Montreal team and, you know, I knew I wanted to be involved, didn't know how, didn't know how serious, you know, like I was in terms of, you know, to taking a position and, you know, we're going through a lot of different scenarios in terms of how I, how I could, uh, you know, be involved. And so we ended up, you know, coming, well, Mike Morelli was really pushing for me to be GM. He's like, look, like mm-hmm. if I have, you know, if I could, you know, have anything in terms of, you know, the, what position you'd end up taking, it would, you know, like it, it would be that I feel you'd be great at it. Obviously Sheen, seen, seen rock uh, the past two years there, Shep, you know, uh, being, being in Ottawa, um, that, that, that last year, you know, both of them had, had spoken to me about it. They're like, look, it makes the most sense. Um, obviously I, I want to be, be involved and I want to be able to make an impact. And, you know, after, uh, a lot of del- deliberation on, uh, on my end and, you know, finally, uh, g- getting to it, you know, I, I realized that, you know, that like, this is something that, you know, I, I really wanted to do and the impact that I'd be able to have, you know, coming back home and getting a chance to, you know, really make a, make a difference on, you know, on something, you know, that I feel is passionate about is, is basketball. And especially in, in, in the Montreal community was, you know, was, was huge. And so, mm. you know, I'm so that's why I'm so excited, you know, to, to be able to have this uh, position now. It's like a full circle moment, no doubt. When you think about the foundation and coming back and, and the impact of professional basketball in the city for years, uh, there have been some groups there who lobbied from David Stern to Adam Silver for having another NBA team in Montreal that's somewhere in between Toronto and Boston that they didn't have to, you know, split their allegiances. Right. And with the alliance, you guys are going to have an expansion draft. You're going to take some guys. We're going to have open tryouts, whatever the case might be. And I was talking to you a little bit about this off air is that there was there's something important about connecting and creating connective tissue between the new team and the communities there 
who may not be exposed to professional basketball, who want to be involved in professional basketball, but don't always feel like they have been spotlighted or, or given been given the kind of respect in those communities to say, hey, we want you here as well. We want you in the Bell Center. We want you in Verdun. We want you in all these places supporting the Alliance. And so what I do when I come there is I do this thing called Full Court 21. We talked about that a little bit. And being there in Little Burgundy, of all the places, like where, where are the parks, where are the places you can go that have underserved communities, that want to be a part of basketball, that want to do something cool in basketball? Because, you know, there's a there are bowlers in Montreal. A lot of people didn't know that. And we're going to talk about that in a second as well. But what are the things you feel like you can do, whether it be like, we, I really want to partner with you with Full Court 21 and figure out a way to kind of bring those communities into what you're doing with the Alliance as well. But what are some of the things you have planned as a GM of this team? to bring the community and different communities in Montreal to your game? Well, well, definitely I, I feel that like one of, in terms of, a, I would say like, like more, more of maybe a target audience would be uh, for, for us, uh, especially being in the location of, uh, of Verdun by the uh, Verdun Auditorium is uh, mm-hmm. families. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want to be able to, you know, reach families and, you know, obviously what better way to reach the community, like in terms of families, you're going to, you know, end up having, you know, the parents uh, obviously are going to be involved if you're going to have the, the kids involved and, you know, to be able to have them uh, connected. I want to be able to uh, uh, go into, uh, go into the schools, obviously COVID regulations uh, allowing, but, you know, get, get, an, get an opportunity to uh, reach into the schools. I have some, well, I want to say everything that that I have, you know, like planned out. Of but, course. You no, know, I I I do have uh, so some plans to get, you know, a lot of, you know, hopefully uh, schedule permitting, you know, a lot of the schools involved where, you know, uh, but people uh, will will be able to uh, uh, attend these games and on our end at least providing them the opportunity to 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 go to these games so they could have you know this uh the, the, this experience um you know it, it's uh for for me like like one of the things about this is you know the chance to be able to connect you know like like basketball the basketball community and you know connect the Montreal Alliance to you know the community itself in Montreal you know I, I love you know like this opportunity like the fact that you know that that I'm I'm the general manager now you know I, I'm in a position that you know I've been able to you know pro- provide jobs and, and opportunities for you know a, a lot of different people that wouldn't have wouldn't have uh, you know have gotten this uh, if, if if not for you know this team being here and so mm-hmm. you know the, the the type of experience that people will be able to get for uh, working with a, pro- a professional organization you know I, I i love the idea that you know we'll be able to help you know help people with that as they're you know focus on focusing on their uh careers and trying to find you know uh you know trying try, try to find their way uh pro- professionally so you know the, this being um you know to me this league you know it's mm. it's done you know it's done extremely well in terms of its its foundation and structure it's extremely solid um, uh, I definitely believe. And so, but it's a league of, you know, experience and opportunity. And so yeah. I, I want to be able to use that where, you know, like people in our community are going to be able to, you know, like, like gain, you know, gain for that. So some of those opportunities for, you know, for, 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 for jobs or the experience of just, you know, having professional basketball, uh, in, in itself is, is going to be a uh, big Without question. Yeah, on uh, on on the basketball side, um, there's it's really you know the the chance for you know also players, you know for for me like I want to I want to be able to see the, the basketball community grow and 
uh, there's some of my overall vision would be, you know, to say that like this is the this is a team that guys coming up will want to be able to play for this organization, mm-hmm. you know, and like this this organization will be a stepping stone for them if they want to play professionally. I feel that you know a, a lot of a lot of guys in in Montreal like it hasn't it's it, it's changed, but you know some of it hasn't changed from from when when I was coming up where there isn't as much guidance in terms of what to do. You know, mm-hmm. like some guys like really don't know. Like there's so many, you know, that there's stories of, 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 you know, the guys that, you know, like everyone, everyone's known where like there's, there's been that talent, but, you know, there hasn't been like quite, you know, the, the, the right direction. And so right. with having a team here, you know, there's at least, especially uh, if, if we're able to to do things correctly, it'll, it'll give them that that uh, that foundation that organization that structure that they will need you know to to be able to to go other places like this could be a place where you know that they could see like you know how how pros like actually play they're live and they're actually able to see high level basketball you know during the summer uh mm-hmm. if you're doing you know workouts and pickup games like just having you know just players you know like, like i want to be able to have like other players that that you know could, could potentially like like come around and see you know how you know how, how these things operate um you know people that you know there's no no different than people trying to be in uh involved in the uh you know uh in in basketball like even outside of playing like you know the being able to give them opportunities to come around and see what it's like in a professionalization because it's hard like you know everyone would love to you know you know go go to the raptors and see how how that is but no obviously like they like that's the you know those are those are very difficult you know opportunities to 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 come across you know Mm. so now like having a team in the city you you get a professional team that is, you know, going to be operating correctly, and you know, you'll, you know, people will be able to be involved with it. Well, I don't know when the season starts exactly, but I'm sure that people are going to be very excited about what you do there, and the marketing rollout looks great so far. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the future. But as somebody who plants his flag in Montreal, I'm about to press you as we start to wind this thing down yeah. and ask you for a starting five all time. Montreal Hoopers. <laughs> oh. I told you I was about to press you. <laughs> and look, uh, you don't have to feel the certain way. This is your list. Have a keen understanding of personal pronoun use. This is your list. There's no disrespecting <laughs> of anyone. It's just that's how you feel about it. So be wow. comfortable. It's a safe space here. We can share. It's a safe space. Yeah, it's different. Like, like, cause I actually know, like, have the people that be like be on the I know. list. Though. So, all right, that, that, that's good. We'll, we'll see how how the friendships are after this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, had to go with Trevor Williams at the point. Okay. <laughs> Wayne Yearwood at the four. Okay. No. Wayne, 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 and Dwight Walton, like between like the three and four. Wayne, right. Wayne, Wayne would stretch out the four uh, a, a lot more. So I have Wayne at the three, Dwight at the four. Uh, <laughs> it's tough. And Prosper, mm-hmm. okay. Prosper Karanga at the two. Is the five difficult? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta put myself at the five, but like. You know me, like, like I'm, in terms of in terms of legends, like, like I, I want to put like like Pascal Fleury at the five. I mean, I think having that difference and respect for what was, what is, and what will be in Montreal is going to mean a whole lot to what you do with your program there with the alignment. 
alliance. So, you know, respect due for that, man. And, I mean, if you had an opportunity to play anyone in the history of the game, one-on-one, who would that be and why? Anyone in uh, in basketball? Anybody in the history of basketball, male, female, however they gender identify, who would that be? Uh, I would say Wilt. Really? Yeah, because, like, as dominant, like, he was so, like, dominant obviously and i just i want to know what it especially me as a as a defender like that's Mm. you know taking so much pride in defense like i want to know what it'd be like having to guard and what that looks like you know because i like like the film doesn't like like really do him justice so i i really want to know like what it was like you know physically like like having to go against someone like that you know, if it was something that was really, you know, like when you're when you're live with someone, you know, the f- film really like for a lot of players, like if you e- even, you know, you look at guys in the NBA now, like once you actually are live on the court with them, it's a total different. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different vantage point, like like when they're like right in front of you live and in color, like mm-hmm. it, it really is. And so like I would love to see like what like Wilt was like. Shaq, I already have like like have an idea. Mm-hmm. I would know like what to do with do with Shaq. Like he, I I couldn't imagine like what it'd be like <laughs> playing against him. No, I, honestly, right. like he, you know, we, we we played together my uh my, my my first year, and like after like practices, because like I had to I, like <laughs> I, I had to part of the reason I, I I improved a lot as a defender was I had to guard like Shaq and Zoe like in, right. in every practice. So Shaq was. Like after after practice, like I would just think, and I would like tell him, I was just like, I couldn't imagine like what it'd be like having to guard him, like when he was like, you know, just in like prime. all in shape, in prime, like yeah. fully athletic, all muscle, just walking around, like you know, running the floor, like as good as anyone else, and like just like I, it, like, like to me, like I couldn't imagine that. So like, I would, I'd want to know what Wilt would be like because you know, like we always hear hear, hear the debates on like who the greatest, you know, is and. No, that's, you know, the one that I would, you know, I definitely want to play against. That'd be dope. Well, I want you to let people know where they can find you guys. You can see, I mean, right now we can see the scroll for the Montreal Alliance, but if they wanted to find out more about the Alliance, where would they go? Uh, Yeah, Uh, you find find out from uh, uh, alliancemontreal.ca, you know, to get all uh, information. It'll give you links to, um, I'm sure, the uh, IG page, and I'm not sure um, what other uh, social media they, they, they have set up there right now, but um, the, the, that's where you can get all uh, all information on the Montreal Alliance. So uh, definitely, the, you know, definitely check it out. Definitely planning some 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 really big things, and you know, putting this together is, is something that's extremely special to me. And you know, I just want to also say, like, just thank you to everyone that is you know been helping me right now uh, through this because this really is a community thing. Like, even though I'm <laughs> I'm the general manager, like the type of reactions that I've gotten from everyone and the assistance and the help, the knowledge, you know, this is really something for you know everyone, like the entire community, like Montreal. A lot of Montrealers have their, you know, hand influence in in, in a lot of this, you know, and so, um, you know, it's uh, it, it's, it's going to be a great summer, you know. So, you know, definitely uh, check it out and uh, and come to a game. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person when we come there in July, man. And like, I'm a fan of Montreal. I love coming to the city. The best sushi in Canada is actually in, in Montreal, for those okay. who don't know. Love the city and appreciate you coming on. Can you, can you, I, I don't speak French in the least. 
even though I played oh, no. for basketball. <laughs> I don't speak any French. So I understand it better than I can speak it. So oh, okay. if you would say it was, you know, uh, something like, uh, it was nice meeting you. Look forward to seeing you this summer. Go Alliance or something like that. <laughs> That'd be best in French. Can you hear it? All right. Well, my, my my French, I'm still working on it. You know, I've I've been away okay. for you know about like 19, 19 years now, going on twenty. So okay, um, as close as you can get. Alors, merci pour pour m'avoir ici avec toi. C'était je suis très très heureux pour parler avec vous. Uh, C'était, uh, je pense, uh, très bon pour uh, de donner de, de, de l'information de uh, qu'est-ce que j'ai fait et qu'est-ce qu'on va faire avec uh, uh, l'Alliance uh, de, de Montréal. Alors, uh, uh, je te souhaite uh, uh, bientôt et merci pour, pour tout ça et uh, j'espère que uh, tout le monde va, uh, va nous voir uh, dans l'été uh, quand, quand, quand on va jouer, jouer uh, notre, uh, uh, notre saison. Okay. Well, I'm going to borrow a, a nickname from one of your former teammates and say, I appreciate the time and consideration today, champ, because you are a champion and look forward to seeing you. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, the, thank you for having me over here. And, you know, definitely, uh, you know, can't wait to, we'll, we'll be able to link up again. No doubt. time on the open run with Will Strickland. I want to thank my man, Joel Anthony, two-time, two-time, two-time NBA champion and current general manager of the Montreal Alliance of the Canadian Elite Basketball League, the CBL, for coming on today. I'm looking forward to working with him in the very near future. I'm mad I didn't talk to him about possibly being the captain of the all-cardio team. Now, for those who don't know, the all-cardio team is a player who played at least 24 minutes in an NBA game who didn't record one stat other than actually getting into the game. So no points, no rebounds, no steals, no blocks, no assists. Joel Anthony, along with Hollis Thompson, I think in 2014 did it. Joel Anthony did it back in 2011. But uh, it's Joel Anthony, Hollis Thompson, Bruce Bowen, another defender. Glenn Rice, RoboCop, was on the list. I couldn't believe that. It was probably toward the end of his career, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Tony Snell. From the Portland Trailblazers, who was, uh, I guess they started naming this the Tony Snell team years ago. Maybe Joel Anthony might fight him for that. Uh, a guy who used to be proficient as a three-point shooter, pretty good 3 and D guy. And last but not least, another 3 and D guy. Three-time NBA champion and former opponent of Joel Anthony's in the NBA Finals in 2013, one Danny Green. Danny Green just recently had one of those for Philadelphia, so I should have asked him about that. Also being called his nomenclature, the Warden. Find out more, probably talk to him again this summer, hopefully, as we're doing Full Court 21 in Montreal, July 16th, 2022. Look forward to it and look forward to working with the CBL and the Montreal Alliance. But now on to the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. Do rankings even matter that much in the NCAA, whether it's on the men's or women's side? Do they really matter other than like to gamblers and maybe the schools? This was a big week 
of conference play. There were so many upsets. Cupcake season is officially over. The number one Baylor Bears, who were number one for five weeks, relinquished that title with ease, losing two big games, and the first number one team in the history of the NCAA to lose two games at home in the same week as the number one team in the country. They've dropped to number five as the Gonzaga Bulldogs are now number one in the country. Mark Few's team back on top of things. And number two, the Auburn Tigers. I've been talking about Auburn a lot. Bruce Pearl, even though the program is on, I think they have some sanctions this year because of things he did at Tennessee and also things he's done. Oh, where there's smoke, there's fire, I guess. Bruce Pearl, you got to clean that thing up down there and give these young people a chance to, to find you know their way. We saw number 18, Texas Tech, lose. We saw Seton Hall lose. We saw the number five, USC, one of the last undefeateds to lose this week, and they lost twice. UCLA lost this week. A lot of type teams lost, even on the women's side. The last unbeaten team on the women's side, the Colorado Buffaloes, lost to Stanford. The Stanford Cardinal, both on the men's and women's side. There's a lot of uh, pillaging of teams' records this past week. Rest in power shouts go to former University of Kentucky head coach Joe B. Hall, one of three men to ever play in and coach a national title game. There at Kentucky, played for the legendary Adolph Rupp. He passed away at the age of 93. So rest in power to Joe B. I remember seeing a game that Joe B. Hall was coaching at University of Kentucky years and years ago between Auburn and Kentucky. At the time, the big men for Kentucky were Sam Bowie, the former number two pick in the 1984 draft, right before some guy named Jordan. I think you might have heard of him before. And the late... Melvin Turpin, a.k.a. Dinner Bell Mel, who gained so much weight when he got to the NBA because no one was stopping him from eating what he wanted to eat. It was Mel Turpin versus Charles Wade Barkley at Auburn, the allegedly 6'6", 350-pound power forward for Auburn. And I can recall seeing them before this game sit on a basket stanchion together before the game in pregame warm-ups. Kid brought them a Domino's pizza. They sat there and ate the pizza before the game together. Then Charles Barkley went out and killed them on the court. I kid you not. Rest in power to Joe B. Hall, who probably didn't see Mel eating that pizza at the time. And I don't think Mel had a bad game, but I don't know that the pizza helped. Also, shouts out to the greatest second-round pick in NBA history, even though I still affirm that if you were the number eight or number nine pick in the draft, that's not really a second round. Back in the day when Willis Reed was drafted, from Grambling State, he was his second-round pick. Nikola Jokic is like, mm, I was an MVP too, my guy. He has a case as well. And we're going to talk about him a little bit later. But at Grambling State University in Grambling, Louisiana, the basketball court has been renamed for the great Willis Reed, the Grambling Tiger, who went on to two NBA championships and a league MVP with the New York Knickerbockers. So, shouts out to Mr. Willis Reed. Shouts out to my guy, Masai Ujiri. And Masai, you must trust. Big GQ spread recently that talked about his habits, how consistent he is, how he's been successful to every stop he's had, and the sacrifices, the things he had to do to become great himself, to bring greatness and the culture to the city of Toronto that's still exhibited on the court each and every day by their potential all-star, Fred Van Vliet, the guy who was undrafted, who made himself a star in the NBA. The Raptors just recently played the Detroit Pistons, and their former coach, Dwayne Casey, is 5-0 and 
against the Raptors. That's like their NBA finals for them. They've been pretty bad the past couple of years, but it is a development program in Detroit with the motorcade, Kate Cunningham, as a Rookie of the Year candidate there. But they're 5-0 against the Raptors. And you saw Kate Cunningham just recently drop his career high of 29 versus the Utah Jazz in a win. But I want to shout out another young man who, while he's not going to be in the Rookie of the Year conversation, at least I don't think he will be, He's definitely somewhere in the all-rookie conversation right now. Is Bones Highland, who's getting his shot out there in Denver, making a move and playing very, very well. But shouts out to my man Bones on the rookie watch. A man who made a lot of his bones in the Western Conference, specifically in Los Angeles. Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal has given up his ownership stake in the Sacramento Kings because e-betting is huge and is part of the new Win bet from the Win Hotel there in Las Vegas. You can have an opportunity to win a jackpot. Not a jackpot, but a jackpot. I've never seen anyone leverage his name so adroitly in commerce as Shaquille O'Neal. Shouts out to Big Shaq. The injury reserve list continues to be something to keep an eye on as COVID and we move toward All-Star Weekend and also the trade deadline, which is coming up in less than a month now. Draymond Jamal Green Sr., out another two weeks with the calf injury. Dame Lillard, out six to eight weeks after abdominal surgery. People are asking if they're going to pull the plug on Dame in Portland because he's eligible for an extension of two years and 135. I, I, I can't even say the number out loud. It doesn't make sense. He's looking for like a two-year, $100 million contract from Portland. I don't think they're going to do it. I think they're going to part with Dame Lillard. I think they're going to part with C.J. McCollum. Shouts out to C.J. and his wife on their first child. He's been cleared uh, to return to the court after being out with a punctured lung. But shouts out to him and his wife. But I think the, the tides of change are brewing there in Portland, and Dame Lillard might be a part of that. And then the biggest injury news of the week, MVP candidate no longer, Kevin Wayne Durant, out for four to six weeks with the MCL sprain. Talked about some of the returns as we have Bam Adebayo, who came back on MLK Day in the big showdown between the Miami Heat and the Toronto Raptors, it would be the first time that Kyle Terrell Lowry would have faced his mates, but he did not play in the game due to personal reasons. I don't know what they are, but that was something a lot of fans in Toronto were looking forward to. And Anthony Marshawn Davis Jr. Scheduled to come back at the end of January. Been working out, trying to get his mind right to come on the court. But the Lakers look terrible. They do disinterested. What does the 2021-2022 season hold for these guys? Well, one person in particular, the hashtag, believes that somehow these Lakers could be a lot like the 2021 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Big football fan myself. Buccaneers go Brady, go blue all day. They started off shaky in the beginning of the season. They ran off like seven straight, went on to win the Super Bowl over a team. People had tabbed as a potential dynasty. To win multiple championships in a row. It didn't happen. And the Kansas City Chiefs. The Lakers feel they have the same opportunity to do the same thing. And they have the parts to do it. But do they have the will? Do they have the ability to do it? Younger teams out here. Faster teams. They don't play any defense. I don't know. It sounds good to say. Shouts out to the players of the week this week. Fred Van Vliet of the Toronto Raptors. And for the second week in a row. And Demetrius Jamel Morant. You must trust John Morant coming off of an 11-game losing strike with his team, the Memphis Grizzlies. 
They're moving up the power rankings. We're going to get into that in a second. But in losing to the Dallas Mavericks, I would be remiss not to mention the greatest Maverick of all time, Dirk Werner Nowitzki, had his number 41 retired there in Dallas. The only player to ever play 21 seasons with the same team in the National Basketball Association. Will it ever happen again? I don't know. Not with free agency and the money this year? I doubt it. I don't know if that's the reason why Sue Bird from the Seattle Storm decided to unretire and come back for a 21st season in Seattle. So on the women's side, I don't know of any woman, any player who's played in the WNBA for 21 straight seasons except Sue Bird. I doubt we'll ever see it again, but Dirk made me think of the top five international players of all time. Not just European players, international players of all time. One, Timothy Theodore Duncan will be excluded because he played for the U.S. Virgin Islands, or he's from the U.S. Virgin Islands and played for Team USA, so I'll not count him in the mix. But if you have questions about this, if you have the dispute, if you feel like you have a better squad, let me know. You know how to reach me. But my top five of all time, Number one, that Nigerian, that guy, I'm not talking about Giannis, not just yet, but Hakeem Abdul Olajuwon, number one. At two, Dirk. At three, Giannis Ugo Laterrence Tutacupo. At four, Stephen John Nash, the current coach of the Brooklyn Nets. And at five, it's like splitting hairs between these two guys, whether you're talking about the artist known as William Anthony Parker Jr., Tony Parker, he of four championship rings and one finals MVP, or Pau Gasol, he of two championship rings. It's tough to say. I mean, depends on your preference at the end of the day, but I think either one of those guys would be great and coming up that list and going to be on that list sooner than later. The great Nikola Jermaine Jokic. Now, my man Sharp, my man TJ, guys on Facebook were talking about this when I mentioned it on the podcast and they were like trying to suggest some names themselves and I appreciate that. We want your participation here on the open run and I got some names. Everything from Deontay to Clarence to Jerome which is what I thought I was going to name him but when Shark decided that Jermaine was a name, I'm like I like that but we're going to spell it differently. We got to put an apostrophe or something in there. So it's J apostrophe M-A Y-N-E, Jermaine, that is the MVP's new nick nomenclature, or new middle name, as we should say, because it's not a nickname, but Nikola Jermaine Jokic in the middle there, coming up and possibly adding to the top five international players of all time in a couple of years. I, I can see him moving Gasol and parking those guys out of there, and maybe even the two-time MVP, Steve Nash, pushing him down the list a bit as well. But let's go into the Power 10 because we're talking about the push. And the push has been made by the team no one's talking about. The NBA finalists from last year, the Phoenix Suns. Like, how is it that we're dismissing this team? They're the top team with the top record in the league. Are they the best team? I don't know. And Chris Paul's playing at an amazing level. Devin Booker's back, uninjured, playing well. We'll see because in their matchups against the Golden State Warriors, so far they have their number. So at number one, the Phoenix Suns. At two, the Golden State Warriors, that might not be for long. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be upset if I put Memphis at number two right now, but I'm not going to pull the trigger on that just yet because at number three, we have the Memphis Grizzlies, day of the 11-game losing strike that was broken, of course, by Dallas. At number four, the Chicago Bulls, who may be without Zach Levine for a while. He injured himself in a game recently. Tests came back negative, but they're going to go on a day-by-day basis with Zach so is incumbent upon DeMar Darnell DeRozan 
and Lonzo Ball and Vucimane, Nikola Vucevic, to keep them afloat as they go into the number four spot this week. At number five, the Utah Jazz. At number six, the Milwaukee Bucks. At number seven, the Brooklyn Nets, who are going to be, they're going to be in a very, very precarious situation. We know Kevin Durant, but we'll see how they pull that out. We're going to see the coaching job that can be done by Steve Nash there. At number eight, the Miami Heat. Now getting Jimmy Butler back in the mix, Bam Adebayo back in the mix. They can play so many different styles, and they have a culture, as Joel Anthony stated earlier. And Jimmy Butler is a continuation of the toughness that you find in Eric Spolstra in Pat Riley. At number nine, the streaking Philadelphia 76ers, who are just fine as they are, according to Joel Embiid. We don't need any changes. Code speak, we don't need you, Ben. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. And number 10, the Dallas Mavericks, who are playing very good basketball, now having Jason Kidd back in the mix at, on, on the bench. And, of course, the unicorn, 3-6 Latvia, Kristaps Porzingis, back in the lineup. Before we get out of here, I want to address a couple of things um, as we see the second round of All-Star game voting. And Steph and Kevin Durant are still leading both of their conferences respectively. But the gap between number one and number two in the West, the current leader, Wardell Stephen Curry II, and the hashtag he who shan't be named has closed dramatically. If voting ends and Steph is still at the top of the vote leaderboard, it will mark the first time since the NBA has gone to the format of allowing the captains to choose the teams that the hashtag would not be one of the captains of the team. Chauncey Billups, Mr. Big Shot himself, Finals MVP in 2004, said that Kyrie Irving is the most skilled point guard in the history of the game. I don't know if that's prisoner of the moment or if he's just caught up in the, the dribbling package and the layup package that Kyrie Irving has, the shot making, the, the, the ability to take those shots and make those shots. If he's talking about that, that is skilled because we're talking about a shooter. If, if you're talking shooting, it's Steph. We're talking about all-around game. Is it Magic Johnson? Is it Jason Kidd? Did Kyrie Irving even make the NBA's top 75 at 75? Chauncey Billups' own point guard, a member of the NBA 75 at 75 squad, has more all-NBA selections than Kyrie Irving. As a matter of fact, he has one first team. Kyrie Irving has some second teams and third teams, but Dame Lillard was voted the first team all-NBA guy. Never bad for Kyrie, but he's the most skilled. Am I creating a false equivalency? Maybe. I don't know. Could be. But there are so many guys who play the position. You talk about being a 50, 40, 90 guy. Does that make Steve Nash in that conversation? His coach? Does it put him there? John Stockton? Oscar Robertson? Triple doubles? I don't know. Stats? Influence? Impact? Talked about that earlier. You tell me. If you agree or disagree, you know how to reach me. Just recently, Steph Curry was asked who would win an NBA Finals between the 2017 Golden State Warriors and the 1996 Chicago Bulls. And Steph said, you know, I give it to my guys in six. I thought that was reasonable. Easily, one of the most skilled and talented ensembles to ever be put together on one team, basketball team, not named the Dream Team. Golden State Warriors had that. They had a hell of a defense, what people failed to realize. Even Kevin Durant played defense. But Draymond Green was the quarterback there. And if you did the matchups, player by player, like everybody says, well, who's going to guard Jordan? Okay, well, Clay Alexander Thompson is a pretty good two-way player and a decent defender. You can't guard Jordan. You can just do your best. 
If Brian Russell and Black Brad Elo were on him, and we don't talk about them as being prime defenders, Clay Thompson has a better chance. Okay, cool. Who's going to guard Clay? Well, you say Jordan's going to guard Clay. Okay, who's going to guard Steph? Well, Pippen's going to guard Steph. Well, who's going to guard Kevin Durant? Dennis Rodman? Possibly. You might have an argument there. I see it. Because of the shooting, and, it, it, you know, so many factors involved, rules and rule changes. I mean, the X factor, clearly, in a lot of ways for a lot of people, is Michael Jordan, even though the best all-around player on the court at that time would be Scotty Maurice Pippen. Period. That's my opinion, but his career kind of speaks to that as well. Dennis Rodman and Jeremiah Green, who would get the most technicals first, who can keep their head, that would be something to think about as well. Andre Iguodala coming off the bench. I mean, they had a lot. So I'm not mad at Steph. I'm like, what is he supposed to say? Is he supposed to show deference to Michael Jordan because I guess basketball ended when Michael Jordan retired in 1998 for the second time? Hmm. Okay. Well, I know that Kevin Maurice Garnett, he of Farragut High School in Chicago, recently called Steph Curry the MJ of his era. Mm, okay, my guy, we know, but okay. Steph Curry has impact. He has influence. He has the numbers. But it's not greater than that other guy further down in the state of California who's been doing it for well over a decade. And you know, I've only been doing this for a year. Hopefully my impact, my influence, and my stats will show improve and someone might see what I'm doing is great. And what you're doing is great and I can never feel bad about telling a man, woman, or child, or however you gender identify, that you are great as well. And I want to thank you for listening to the podcast where basketball and life are one. So until next week, do remember, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. I keep listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man. It is that time. Make it happen, Captain. Easy. <laughs>